This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Everybody, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools, which is something I'm finally excited to announce to the world that I have Eric Carlson and I'm happy about it. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me for yet another episode where we're going to break everything down from the past week is my co host and BFF, the fantasy hockey robot Brian Calm. Of all the things you call me, Elon, that is the one I treasure the most. It's so nice to be here for another episode with you and, of course, with you listener and we can feel good about carlson we're gonna we're gonna close the episode with some carlson positivity it's gonna bookend the show and just a quick note right off the top for anybody who's used to streaming this week has like a crazy schedule you've got games pretty much full schedules on wednesday and friday which is totally weird nobody plays thursday there's only one game tuesday you have your usual full slate on saturday so if you like generally save moves to stream later for friday and sunday you might want to get out in front of this week and make sure you've got you you, like if you want an extra game you got to start on monday yeah, it might be that'll be your chance on Monday to get the extra game. Exactly, Brian's right. Weird schedule. What's what's going on, Brian? Like, what is on Thursday that's causing no games to happen? I, I think this is very like we're outing ourselves clearly as Canadians. I'm pretty sure it's American Thanksgiving. That's not on the weekend. That's a, that rolls around. I guess yeah. We're we're sounding dumb now. So how about we just for, move <laughs> on? Tell Thursday, us in the chat room. If, if the NHL chooses not to compete with like whatever Dallas Washington game might be happening. It's okay. like the Thanksgiving classics. Oh, I see. I see. NFL, of course, of course. Patty <laughs> thinks American Thanksgiving. There we go. Very excited. Okay, good for you, Americans. And hopefully you're going to be thankful for this episode. We're going to try our best to make it good. <laughs> of course, one site that always keeps it good is DauberHockey.com, and we're very proud to be presented by them. Every day you've got daily ramblings updating you on what's going on. Great articles all the time. Then all the tools over at Frozen Tools. I use them every week to prep the show. you got starting goalies, real-time line combinations, Everything you need, dauberhockey.com. Brian, okay, let's get started with some injuries and outjuries. It's been a tough year. I feel like this is probably every year, but like a, like a lot of big players getting injured, a lot of people really struggling with their fantasy teams. But hey, I guess this is where there's obviously a lot of luck involved, but also there's some skill in figuring out how to navigate around all of this bad luck. But it's not all bad luck because also there's some players coming back. So why don't we start in Philly where they had an in-and-out burger, which is what I call when a team loses a player and gets a player. I feel like it's not working though, right? No. Any any outie is still my, my a belly button. Okay. 
Philadelphia had a belly button because they got JVR back, but Brian Elliott got hurt. Man, these Philly goalies, they can't stay healthy. So let's start on a positive note. JVR, James Van Riemsdyk, finally returned from his knee injury on Thursday after missing all but the first two games of the season. Quiet return versus the Devils. No points, only two shots. But yesterday, a huge breakout. One goal, two assists, and that crazy 6-5 overtime loss to Tampa Bay. He had a goal and an assist from the top power play unit which uh, we were all very surprised to not seeing occupying a spot in at the start of the season. If you recall, JVR was on power play two. Simmons was on the top power play. But yesterday, things were looking a lot more like our preseason expectations, right? It was Couture, Giroux, JVR, Voracek, Ghost Bear on the top power play. JVR also occupied a spot on the second line or maybe the third line, I don't know, middle six, playing with Simmons and Jordan Wheel. And uh, for completion, the top line was Giroux, Konechny, Couturier, the second line, Voracek, uh, Patrick, and Lindblom. So things are looking how we expected them to look. Philly scoring some goals lately. Got to imagine good times are ahead for James Van Riemsdyk, right? Like looking at our Almanac projections, I went with a 60-point pace. You went with a 65-point pace as our projections. Are you still feeling good about your choice to go higher and go with 65? I'm feeling all right about it. That projection for 65 points for James Van Riemsdyk was definitely based on him seeing top power play time and at least second line deployment. And I mean, the thing here is that we can't see a definitive second line in Philadelphia. They're running more of a top nine than a top six. But the good news is that James Van Riemsdyk, regardless of where in that top nine he is, he's getting top six minutes. He's played about 17 minutes in both games since returning from his injury. Last time JVR averaged uh, that much time on ice, 17 minutes a game was back in 2015-16. The last couple of years, he's been averaging about 14 and a half. So this is a nice bump of two and a half minutes per game. So I am going to stick with 65 here, thinking that another two and a half minutes can look good on James Van Riemsdyk. Though projecting him is definitely still a moving target as we see how and where he settles into the Philly lineup and how that whole lineup settles as a whole. There's been a lot of movement. There's going to be a little more now that Van Riemsdyk is back in the lineup. But if somebody dropped him because you're in one of those leagues that has like one IR space, you need to go out and add James Van Riemsdyk right away. Yeah, and also if your league counts shots, he's always really big at helping you there. So yeah, I'm expecting things to be good now that he's back on the top power play where I think he belongs. I thought that was the whole reason they got him. And so don't forget, Simmons is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. So maybe this now allows Philly to go about shopping Wayne Simmons, trying to get something back for him now that they have JVR in the picture. But okay, fine. So after last week, right, I was hoping to take a break from goalie talk. We pretty much went through a bunch of the goalie situations in the league. But of course, we're getting forced by the injuries. They're forcing our hand to talk about goalies once again. So Brian Elliott got hurt reaching to stop a Kyle Palmieri wraparound goal, and he's going to be out for two weeks. Could be worse. Uh, He was actually on a really nice run, though I don't think people realize. Elliott had seven straight games with a save percentage above 917, so a really sad time for him to get injured. I feel like this happened last year. I should have looked this up, but I feel like he went on a really good run and then got injured. Then when he came back, it it all fell apart. And, you know, so I definitely am not super confident in him keeping it up when he gets back. But, okay, in the meantime, uh, same story as always. So, McCall Neuberth is still out. The word is, I saw in Roto World, he may return before Elliott. So maybe at some point he'll take over as the starter until he gets injured again very quickly. For now, I guess the net belongs to Calvin Pickard and Alex Lyon, who was called up. Uh, Pickard has been terrible this season. He has an 852 save percentage in eight games so far. He led in six of 26 shots yesterday. So a big reason why Philly couldn't get by Tampa, even though they scored all of those goals. Do you 
think that Lyon and Calvin Pickard are just going to kind of go back and forth until someone has a good start? Or is this like Calvin Pickard's net? He's the starting goalie for the next couple of weeks. Like, it's hard to imagine we're going to recommend for people to jump on either of these guys uh, unless your league like only counts wins. And even still, like, I don't know how many wins Philly's going to be able to get with these two, I don't know, seemingly subpar goalies. So Calvin Pickard, there was a time when we thought, hey, like maybe he could challenge for the number one job in Colorado. Maybe he can push Samian Varlamov because in his first two seasons in the NHL, over 36 starts, he had a save percentage in the high 920s. And then uh, the wheels fell off. He actually played 50 games in 16-17 because, of course, Semyon Varlamov got injured. Had a 904, which seemed like respectable, but a terrible quality start percentage. Uh, then played one game for Toronto last year, put up an 857. This year, he has started six games, has had one quality start amongst those. And of course, a quality start is when you post a C percentage that is league average or better, or you win the game, giving up fewer than two goals on uh, two goals or less on uh, like get an 885 save percentage and still win the game. Anyway, uh, Calvin Pickard has not been quality starting at all. Uh, He has not uh, like he's stunk straight up. And it's really a shame that we thought there could be some upside here at some point in his career, but it is all but gone right now. At first, you just want to sort of forgive the guy because three of the six goals against uh, versus Tampa the other day, uh, we're on the man advantage. And one of those goals against was at a two man disadvantage uh, for the Flyers. But Pickard also was just bad at five on five. So at this point, yeah, I don't see why not try out Alex Lyon. Um, if your league counts anything other than wins, though, regardless of who's starting between Pickard and Lyon, it's going to be a risk every single night to play either Flyers goalie and have them blow up your numbers. Uh, what a shame that the Flyers didn't hang on to Peter Morazic. Huh? All of a sudden, he could have been useful if yeah. he were healthy. I know. Um, do you remember when they had Peter Morazic? Yeah, and he was terrible. And like, there's no reason <laughs> to think that he would have been any better. Plus, he's injured right now also. So yeah, you know, maybe so, this is a ring situation. Like, He would get hurt as well. The silver lining in all of this is that what you mentioned at the start, that Brian Elliott was actually doing reasonably well. And if you listen to our show closely, you wouldn't be terribly surprised by that. And hopefully he's not out for long and can come back to help the Flyers salvage the remaining 60 games of this season and try and still take a run at a playoff spot. Yeah, okay. So let's uh, get through the other long-term goalie injuries. Let's get goalies out of the way at the start of the show. Are we leaving Philly? I wanted to leave Philly. Like, what else are we going to say? Yeah, Neuwirth, you know, Elliot. Like, who knows? It's it's really tough to own a goalie in Philly. Okay, but I have things to say. Go. You were just saying things. Say some more things. Philadelphia players. Well, first off, Claude Giroux. uh, We... I blew that one, right? On on the Almanac, I projected him to fall back down to 70 points. Um, and this year, that does not seem to be the case. He has a higher five-on-five five, uh, shots on goal and shot attempt rates. They're actually the second highest rates in his career for putting puck on net. Only in 14-15 did he have higher rates of putting the puck towards the net. Giroux's also sustaining a five-on-five shooting percentage that's above his career norm. He has a 13.3 right now, which, if it stayed till the end of the season, would be his second-best shooting percentage ever, second only to last season's, which was one of the reasons that I thought Giroux wouldn't be quite so solid this year. But one mistake I can already see that I may have made in projecting Giroux is assuming that 
his present ceiling um, wasn't going to be significantly higher than the numbers he was doing three or four years ago when he was being killed by low personal and on-ice shooting percentages. Like I figured age with reasonable percentages would wash out to him being around 70, but I think I went too hard on the age thing, regressed too hard towards past season, which he faced uh, unsustainably bad luck because right now he looks like an 85, 90 point player to me. So there is an early projection concession I have for you. I was wrong about Claude Giroux. Okay. Um, Actually, yeah, sorry about that. So I, I blew it also on the pod. So we both have one thing to apologize for, because I forgot that I wrote this whole thing. I was going to ask you about Giroux. So yeah, to set the stage here, yeah, I was, I meant to say to everyone that we, yeah, with Claude Giroux, uh, you projected a 70 point place to go into the season. I thought I was being a big maverick by saying 75 to go higher. Now he's like got 24 points in 20 games. It's looking like, again, he could hit a hundred points just like he did last year. So you're saying that we got that one wrong. Uh, hopefully when we got right, remind me, Brian, Sean Couturier, uh, he really stunk at the start of the year. And I feel like we suggested on the podcast that people should hold on to him or buy low because he'd be fine. I sure hope we did because he's been great lately. 11 points in his last nine games. Uh, so I think we got that one right. And people are loving owning these uh, Flyers top liners right now. Even uh, Konechny is doing stuff. Yeah, even not the Flyers top liners. So first off, you just mentioned Konechny finally getting on track. Or so it seems he had a short three-game point streak after having been quiet for five games. We had a goal and two assists. Then he went quiet for another three games uh, and then scored two goals on eight shots against Tampa. And four games earlier, he had a goal on seven shots. So these big shot games are an exciting thing to see from Travis Konechny. Somebody else whose name we've mentioned a lot is Oscar Lindblom, who is actually uh, doing all right. He's quieted down a little bit, but he was really clicking on a line with uh, Jacob Voracek and Nolan Patrick. He's now pointless in his last two, but Lindblom had two goals, six assists, and eight points in eight games before that. Uh, he's not much of a shooter, but he can throw hits every now and again. He's more of like a, a stream rather than an ad. And speaking of Nolan Patrick, uh, he's also been reasonably quiet lately. However, He's not so bad in the peripherals department. He has at least a block in four straight games. He has five hits over the last four games. He takes face-offs. He takes shots. He has uh, 14 shots in his last four games. Is getting good minutes with good line mates. He's somebody, if you're struggling in a league and you have dead weight on your roster and you want to make an ad for somebody who has some upside, Nolan Patrick might be a great choice. Brian, thanks for the rundown on all these Philly forwards. Now everyone knows. Yeah, a lot of upside on a lot of these guys. It's funny that you mentioned Oscar Lindblom. We got a tweet, I think it was a couple weeks ago, from Beerbot on Twitter saying that he thinks that Lindblom is going to be the new uh, Yanni Gourd. He's like, that. Lindblom is this season's Yanni Gourd. So, so far, not looking like as good, but someone to keep an eye on, I guess. But okay, let's now, Brian, go to another team. We've gotten through Philly. And like I said, I want to get through the other injuries for goalies. And we're going to start with Pickard's opponent yesterday, which was the Tampa Bay Lightning. And they suffered a big blow. Andre Vasilevsky is going to be out four to six weeks with a broken foot. This, of course, led to everyone rushing to grab backup Louis Demang. I saw in Yahoo, he had like 10,000 plus ads. You know how you could see on the research section, like how many ads uh, each player has. You can see who's been added the most over the past day of like all leagues on Yahoo. I've never seen a number that high. Or if I have, I forgot it. So yeah, everyone wanted Demang. And why not? Tampa's an amazing team. And he's now going to be the starting goalie in the cup for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League. We use the FAB free agent acquisition system. So everyone has a $100 budget and you have to bid part of your budget in order to pick up free agents. My tier two competitor in the cup spent 
$50 of his $100 fab budget in order to get Louis Demang. So he went big on him and hopefully he'll do well for him. And like, okay, but so let's look and see how Demang has done. Like, first of all, let's give Vasilevsky some props. 9-3-1, and 9-27 save percentage on the season. I feel like we were being like a little too cute in our Schmore Goalies Board episode. We decided that Vasilevsky is going to be a tier two goalie for us because he hadn't yet put together a full solid season. But I mean, you know, decent goalie, great pedigree on uh, one of the top teams. Clearly he's been one of the top goalies to own, no question. Anyone who didn't listen to us and drafted him as their top goalie are very happy with their choice. Though obviously they're disappointed now that he's injured. Hopefully he'll come back and be fine in a month or whatever it's going to be. In the meantime, Louis Demang, not so great. 889 save percentage in seven games on the year. In his last two games since the injury, he has two wins, a 4-3 win at Pittsburgh and a 6-5 win at Philly. So not great numbers, but wins are wins. And those are tough matchups, like road games against big scoring teams like Pittsburgh and Philly. Brian, do you think that Demang will earn my competitor Mike's $50 acquisition cost over the next month? The Tampa team is just so good. So you're going to get wins. A couple wins aren't worth that much, but still, I feel like uh, a lot of people jumped on Demang. If, if, if there's anyone out there who still has him available as a free agent, should they be rushing to add him? Yes, they should, especially because most leagues value wins a little more than like a cupful does. And that's all part of the, if you're curious about exactly how we value our goalies, uh, you can go to keepingcarlson.com slash KKUPFL to see all the official cupful rules and our scoring scheme. And Elon, I feel like maybe we should add a link on there uh, like that links to our top division or the different cupful divisions so people can pop in, see how players are actually ranked in these schemes. Anyway, uh, so check that out. Uh, let's go back to Tampa's goals hitting uh, on Vasilevsky going into the year. I just want to give him a, a little bit of props for what he's been able to do so far. Cause Elon, you talked about how he's actually been good and going into the season, we had Vasilevsky sort of in the Matt Murray range where we knew uh, Vasilevsky was in a good spot on a very good team, but hadn't seen enough consistent performances to want to actually call Vasilevsky a tier one goalie but he's making a really strong case now, one that Matt Murray has absolutely failed to make. So if Vasilevsky can come back and keep this up to some extent rest of season, uh, there's not going to be much debate about where Vasilevsky lands in next year's more goalies board. Although the funny thing is, even with a 927 save percentage, Vasilevsky is actually still playing below his expected save percentage at five on five. He is picking up all these save percentage points by shining on the penalty kill, a 943 shorthanded save percentage, whereas like anything above a 900 is kind of ridiculous. So that's not going to last, but Vasilevsky still could hang in with a save percentage close to or above 920, even when that penalty kill save percentage regresses. Um, Maybe if you want, you can try to make a lateral move in net by selling Vasilevsky's 927 for another top goalie who you feel you can rely on about as much and upgrade another piece in your lineup. But this wasn't supposed to be about him. It's just a good opportunity to get into him. Uh, Let's talk about Domingue. He's not a very good goalie, but he's on an excellent team. And the good news for Domingue, as it is for Vasilevsky, is that Tampa Bay uh, is only giving up more expected goals against per game at even strength than Boston. So they are the second uh, stingiest team defensively, according to expected goals. So that bodes well for anyone in the Tampa crease. So go ahead and add Demang, but it is a little bit like a Kemper situation or the one we've seen in Arizona the last little while. Uh, Demang, of course, has better chance at a win than Kemper and has better defense in front of him. But there's still a non-zero and probably not even like, you know, higher than 30 40% chance that Domingue is going to screw up all your numbers in a bad start. Playing for Tampa helps mitigate that risk, but it's still there. 
Yeah, I mean, he did, like I said, 11, five goals in his last game. Still got the win. So it kind of depends how things count. Like, you want him. Like, he's worth owning in all leagues. Like, in Cupful, he's owned in all 16 divisions. We've got this amazing spreadsheet by Marcus, which he updates every week for us before the show. So in all the Cupful divisions, all 16, he's owned. He's owned in, like, 50% of Yahoo League. So I'm not saying that he shouldn't be owned. But keep in mind, his value might not be so, so high. If you're in a league that counts, let's say, a categories league, wins, save percentage, and goals against average. It's going to help you in wins, but he might actually be below average in those other two. So you got to keep that in mind. Uh, since we're on Tampa, Brian, uh, Brian, you obviously know the answer because you saw the preparation document, but people in the chat room or people listening want to try to guess who's leading Tampa Bay in both goals and points right now. Uh, I guess there's a little of a delay on Yahoo, so I will stall a little bit by saying it's not Nikita Kucherov. What? It's not Steven Stamkos. What? It's not, I don't know, JT Miller. <laughs> Is it Victor? It must be Victor Hedman. It's not Hedman. Well, he was injured what? for a bit. It's not, uh, <laughs> uh, what was the guy? Yanni Gourd, that beer bot's favorite. It's, it's not Matthew Joseph. It's not Matthew Joseph. It's Brandon Anthony Point. Cirelli? Uh, well, now, now I said it over your guesses. So people know it's Braden Point. Point gets points. He's so good. He's got 14 goals and 24 points in 20 games. That's a 57 goal and a 98 point pace for Braden freaking Point. Was this like, Brian, the last season that point will be available after the top two rounds in fantasy drafts? I got point in the kakuffle in round 10, and I'm pretty sure right now if I got offered Stamkos for point one for one, I think I'd decline. Like, let me, is that too crazy? I think it's a little crazy. I think you're right that it's the last time you're going to get any kind of value on point in your draft. The same way that you aren't getting value on Vincent Trocek anymore. Point is a second line center who gets points like a first line center. One of the reasons why he's been able to lead Tampa in points so far today. Oh, it drives me nuts every, like, we need to just start calling him Brayden. Point in points. It's great. You're doing great, Brian. Keep it up. Brayden had 14 goals on 50 shots. Uh, 28% shooting percentage, about a quarter uh, of his shots are going in at five on five. And Braden P has actually scored six times on 13 power play shots. What? So look, you and I uh, both were very happy going into the season to stake our claim and say Braden Point is going to be in the 70 point club. It's going to happen. And we've been pumping his tires for a while, like seeing him on track for this. And he's definitely a very good player. But I don't think Braden P is quite this good. If you're looking at a one-for-one Stamkos offer and you're the point owner, keep in mind, Stamkos is feeling the effects of a low shooting percentage, low on ice shooting percentage, slightly lower IEPP than he should. And he's still managing a 70-point pace. So one-for-one, it could be lateral. Like, I'll go that far. But I think that maybe if you're the point owner and you want to try and make that move for Stamkos or whatever, the side getting Stamkos back can probably ask for Stamkos Plus, and that would be a good way to try and win that deal. Yeah, that could be a smart move. That's all all I was saying was if I got that offer one for one, I'd think twice. Maybe I'd ask for, if you want points so much, maybe give me a little more. I'm not saying he's untouchable. Come at me, couple tier two with your trade offers for Braden Point. Uh, You could have come at me a little while ago with trade offers for Eric Carlson, and I might have accepted in like a moment of darkness and regret, but you you missed your chance. Now I'm I'm loving life right now with these guys. Uh, Okay, but another the opposite of tilt. Yeah, it's just like you call it Elon because that's uh, that's my definition right now. <laughs> or how about even keel for Eric Carlson? Saying EK, EK even keel sixty five, ridiculous. <laughs> Let's go to another big goalie injury. This time to LA. Jonathan Quick already is on the long term IR. 
and he's apparently skating or he's going to start skating in 10 days. I don't know. Like maybe John the Cook will be back at some point. But then news came out that Jack Campbell had a torn meniscus in his knee and needed surgery. So he's going to be out four to six weeks now. It's too bad. Like Jack Campbell had really been settling in and it looked like the Kings season was maybe going to start turning around along with like, you know, Dustin Brown returning and Campbell doing well. Like Campbell's coming off four really good starts, bringing his season save percentage to a 923 save percentage in 13 games overall. I'm pretty bummed for the guy. Like he was finally getting this opportunity and he was running with it. Now he has to have this surgery. Who knows? Maybe by the time he gets back, like Jonathan Quick will be back. So kind of a bummer. Anyway, someone who definitely didn't run with his opportunity was Peter Budai, who got the next start versus Toronto on Tuesday and was absolutely terrible. He stopped only 15 of 19 before getting pulled for a new backup and probably now starter Calvin Peterson. Uh, who's a guy I've never heard of before. I'll admit before going into the show, maybe some prospects people know about him. Maybe Brian, you'll tell us all about this guy. So Peterson stopped 15 of 16 in the remainder remainder of that Leafs game. And then he stopped 34 of 35 against Chicago on Friday in a 2-1 win. He was actually looking good also yesterday versus Nashville until the third period where the wheels fell off and he ended up stopping only 38 of 42, which isn't terrible, in a 5-3 loss to the Predators. Hard to blame him. Like this is, he's on the second half of a back-to-back where he's played both games and he's against the Nashville Predators in his second ever NHL start I'm not going to ding Calvin Peterson for that bad game so Brian who is Calvin Peterson I hear I read on Twitter that he has a bit of a pedigree he's for sure the new starter on LA now right like I think so like, I can't imagine Peter Budai's got another run in him at this point and, and my side question is Brian did we add the wrong Calvin because we grabbed Pickard in our joint league when we could have added Peterson I feel like I kind of want to swap uh Pickard for Peterson ASAP if we still can tomorrow morning we're out of moves for the week uh yeah what do you think about this guy Calvin Peterson well, first off, his friends call him Cal. Uh, second off, 38 out of 42 stops is like Craig Anderson-like. If you have that big a workload and you still manage to stop over 90% of the shots, congratulations. You did very well. Uh, who is Cal Peterson? Former fifth-round pick of the Buffalo Sabres back in 2013. He turned 24 just last month, now seeing the first NHL action of his career. I suppose um, the pedigree that you're mentioning, Elon, I- I'd be curious, to, Like, do you... Do you remember exactly what you saw? I don't know, like people saying that he was supposed to be one of the good pieces in the LA organization that would one day be good. I feel like that's all I saw. So I I think he's their top goaltending prospect, which does not necessarily account for much. I mean, Jack Campbell would be his competition in that category. Uh, He was drafted, which helps uh, any goalie, uh, you know, for... It's rare for there to be even one or two pedigree having goalie prospects in each draft class. So maybe there's some stock in that. Anyway, to his performance as a professional, Cal Peterson uh, hasn't performed in any particularly special way. He had a 9-10 last season in his first pro season with the AHL's Ontario Reign and had an 881 in 10 games this year before being called up. That 9-10 in his first year is actually kind of okay. Um, but obviously he did not outplay or outduel Jack Campbell and win that job. Or the uh, the Kings were like, well, Peterson's the one we want playing more often. It's really hard to know exactly how they made that decision and how they value the two. Uh, I think Peterson now, in his current situation in, in LA with Campbell out, with Quick out, uh, Peter Budai does not pose a whole lot of competition for him. Uh, so if I'm picking between Calvin's, Peterson and Pickard, I'm going to lean Peterson. Uh, Calvin Pickard has a little more competition from Lyon and Pickard has also already blown it a bunch. So Peterson is starting fresher. Uh, So I think Peterson is probably the better choice between the two, but I can't say with confidence that he's actually going to be any more reliable than Pickard. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, we don't know. Like, Adam in the chat room here is saying, I test on Peterson says he's not an NHL goalie. I feel like it's been a couple games. Let's see how he does. The numbers are looking okay so far, but very small sample size, of course. Brian, by the way, John in the chat asked Jeff Carter, like, he wanted us to talk about him. So it's not scheduled for the show, but John, you showed up for the show. So I'm going to give it to you if you'd like. So Jeff Carter at this point in the year has 10 points in 19 games. Not good. Uh, I don't know, Brian, like, should people be holding on to him? I feel like you've always loved Jeff Carter. I feel like we've talked about him somewhat recently. But at this point, he's playing like second line center, playing with Toffoli and Kovalchuk, uh, like top power play. Like he's in a decent spot. LA's not scoring goals overall. I see he has a low shooting percentage so far, 7.4 shooting percentage when he's been like above 10 for the past couple of years. So I see reasons why Jeff Carter is going to do a little bit better. But also like LA's having some troubles right now. Yeah, one thing hurting Jeff Carter is that 7.4 shooting percentage. Last year, he shot 15%. The year before, 13%. Really, the lowest in his career he's ever shot is 10%. So this is uh, 2.5% short of that, which is not good for him. But he's also kind of responsible for not having taken enough shots, too. Right now, his shots per 60 rates and shot attempt per 60 rates are the lowest, well, ever of his career. And one thing we've always really liked about Jeff Carter is like, yeah, he's going to throw a lot of shots on net. Don't worry about it. It's going to help him get close to 30 goals and even in L.A. And that's not what's happened. Now, to be fair, beyond his shooting percentage, he has a little bit of bad luck happening. His IPP at even strength is just 44.4444444444 and so on percent. And his on-ice shooting percentage, well, it's actually kind of reasonable. Um, But there are two reasons why Jeff Carter, like those are, there are at least two variance flags uh, for for why Jeff Carter is not performing up to snuff and only at a 43 point pace. I would hope he can get back up to like 55, but if he doesn't bring his shot rates back up in line to even what they've been at like other loan points of his career up until now, uh, I think it would be really hard to count on him for the 60 plus that we've been able to. Okay, so there you go. Hope that helps. Uh, like, don't give up on him. If he was available in free agency in one of my leagues, I think I'd add him. Though also centers, you know, it's all you always have to discount them a little bit just because there's usually more centers available. So yeah, I think he has upside to do better, but also maybe he's not going to get back up to that sure 60-point guy that he's been year in and year out. Brian, let's go to another team that had a in and out burger or a belly button or an in-jout jury as Victor. So we're going to settle this all for next week. I'm going to ask in the Facebook group for the patrons, and we're going to come up with an official name that I'll say from now on. But yeah, so Anaheim, like always losing people gaining people back it's like an infirmary over there for the ducks like okay so patrick eaves is back on the ir must like i feel bad for him i feel bad for him just like i feel bad for jack campbell he like probably worked so hard like and for so long to get back into the team then he like what played two games now he's back on the ir hopefully he'll come back like not really fantasy relevant uh the more fantasy relevant injury is cam fowler who like ouch he like got hit in the face with a puck and he underwent surgery on friday for a complex right facial fracture involving his orbital bone cheekbone and upper jaw bone Oh, like I, I feel tingles like just reading this. Like it sucks. Poor Cam Fowler. I hope he still looks okay. He's a handsome guy. Uh, it sounds much worse than a simple fracture. Uh, for sure. Yeah. So also, of course, ouch to Cam Fowler's fantasy owners. Uh, he's been doing exactly what we all expected from him when we drafted him, right? Like not better, not worse, I'd say. Maybe in the blocks, actually, he's been better. So 10 points in 19 games or solid 43-point pace, 47 blocks in those 19 games. So over a couple blocks per game is very welcome in leagues where that's counted. Uh, but okay, so Fowler's out. 
That's a bummer. Based on the last two games, it looked like Brandon Montour and Hampus Lindholm would fight for Fowler's power play time, though news just came out today that Hampus Lindholm is on the IR. I think at the time of recording, we still don't even know the reason. It's just like, by the way, Lindholm's on the IR. We don't know why. So I guess Anaheim, like they're playing right now. I'm looking on ESPN at the score here. I, I only see five defensemen on the team. I don't know. Maybe they have another defenseman that just like this platform hasn't added into their system yet. But, like Larson, Manson, Montour, Pedersen. So there's a there's a Pedersen on Anaheim. Did you know that? M. Pedersen, Marcus, maybe? Wilinski. Like this team is uh like they're winning, though, actually. One nothing right now. And the goal was scored by Brandon Montour. So this guy, I feel like he's had a super disappointing season. Hasn't been great at all, but like six points in 21 games going into today. But in the last game, he played 29 minutes. He took seven shots, had six blocks. He's probably like a sure thing for top power play now. Like I don't see who else it would be, especially with Lindholm out. So I feel like people need to just go and grab Brandon Montour, unless you're just going to tell us, Brian, that Anaheim's not going to score any goals and it's not going to matter who's, but maybe it'll be like a, or maybe it could be like a Nick Letty situation where even though they're on the top power play, they don't do anything. But Montour is someone we used to think was going to be good. Huge disappointment this season, but he's going to get, ev- like I could see him playing 29, 30 minutes every game if they have no one else. Yeah, Montour is definitely a guy who's getting a big bump here. He was already going to get it with Fowler out. Now with Hampus Lindholm out, he's going to get even more of a bump, or at least that bump is going to sustain better. Uh, we saw immediate dividends with uh, from him suddenly playing nearly 30 minutes in a night, uh, picking up a lot of shots and blocks. And the nice thing about Montour, too, is you can generally count on him for a couple shots, a hit, and a block as a baseline, even with minutes in the low 20s. So he could be very valuable in peripheral leagues. Remember, Montour was the guy who was supposed to already have this job. He took a run at it last year. He actually had it for a while, but he didn't claim it out of camp. Uh, It was Fowler, but so it makes sense that Brendan Montour is next in line to grab the mantle. I guess with Hampus Lindholm out, if you're looking beyond Brendan Montour, you might be looking at Josh Manson as another option to try and pick out, pick up some depth points and peripherals from the Anaheim blue line. Real shame that Hampus Lindholm is out. Not that he was going to get this opportunity because he never has in Anaheim, but he had 11 shots in his last two games. Also Hampus Lindholm. uh, The the bad news is that he had just two points in his last nine before getting injured. Elon, remember there was a time where you were wondering if he could get 40, 45 points, but I think that two points in nine game stretch brought him back down to earth where uh, when he returns, we can expect 35 points from Ham Pislinholm with some potentially valuable peripherals. It's a real shame that he's not here to cash in while Fowler's out, though maybe he'll still beat him back into the lineup. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised, especially if Montour struggles. I could see Lindholm coming back and being the guy for as long as Fowler is out. So we'll have to wait and see. If you can, if someone drops Lindholm and you have IR spots, I wouldn't mind stashing him if you can. But for now, I think you got to grab uh, Brandon Montour and hope that this is finally his time. Uh, still on Anaheim, uh, the one piece of good news, because I said it wasn't in Joutry. It was in an outburger. Okay, I'll stop like saying all the things. Oh my gosh. <laughs> They're terrible. Okay, the one good news is that Andre Kasha finally made a season debut after missing the start with a concussion. No points in three games so far going into today, but 15 shots and goal in those three games. That's not nothing. He was playing with Henrique, but again, I could see things changing around with like the Lions, you know, like all these injuries and them not winning, not scoring goals. So it's hard to rely too much on what the Lions will be. I feel like it's even possible. Maybe at some point you get Getzlaff, Raquel, and Kasha. On the top line, maybe Pontus Auberg gets bumped at some point. So I feel like there could be some upside here, especially for a guy that's taking all these shots. Uh, don't forget about him in your free agency. He's probably not worth adding right now, but someone I definitely would have on my watch list. Yeah, you should be watching uh, Andre Kasha. We hope 
that eventually he ends up on the top line in a place where he can actually realize the potential that we outlined heading into the season. Because if he's, if Kasha isn't on the top line, any other spot in the Anaheim lineup is like pretty bad. Adam Henrique is not really a centerman that you want to be working with full time. The problem for Kasha is that Pontus Aberg still doing all right on the top line, three points in his last five games, which seems like enough to be holding his spot, I guess. But I expect Kasha to ascend at some point onto line one and anyone who has him at that point can reasonably hope to be rewarded as he plays with Getzlaff and Raquel. It's nice that at least Andre Kasha, if you're holding him and waiting, he's taking shots on goal for you, picking up those huge shot numbers in low minutes too, which is also really promising. Looks like he's been told to fire at will. Hopefully he'll continue doing that and get a chance to do it on the top line. Yeah, I mean, this is what we saw from Victor Arvidsson before he broke out like a lot of shots in not many minutes. This is what we saw from who's the guy this year that we've been saying was the Victor Arvidsson? Fiala? No. No, remember there was a guy who I said, like, it's breaking out this year, and we said we knew it was going to happen because he used to take a lot of shots. Oh, in no. Zucker? No, oh, forget it. I'll, I'll look it up and remember. Brian, you, I was really banking on you there. We've said this before, but I can't remember. There's a player that we've talked about on the show being like, he's finally breaking out this year, and we know oh, Timo Meyer on San Jose. That's who it is. Okay. Anyways, we've seen it from Meyer. We've seen it from Arvidsson. Maybe this is Andre Kasha. Like, maybe next year is going to be his year to break out after one year of having great shot numbers in low minutes. In the chat here, we're seeing uh, Matt asking, so am I dropping Heiskanen? or Haskinen, I should say, for Montour. I think, yeah, in a one-year league, especially because Essa Lindell was on the top power play. So I think I would make that swap. Yeah, Lindell had a good game today. We'll get to Dallas a little bit later. Brian, though, how about if you want to go, if you're in Dallas, you want to go to Dallas, might as well go see a game. This is a terrible segue, but yeah, let's talk about our sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at SeatGeek. It's always fun to go to the game. Like I mentioned before, how Adam said in the chat that Peterson or Peterson on LA, you know, he's looking good with his numbers, but the eye test tells me that he's not good. Why not get the eye test in person? Watch a hockey game live. It's the best thing, right? And, and the problem though with going to a game live is getting tickets can be complicated. There's hundreds of sites, varying levels of reliability, tons of fees on like the official sites. And then you never know what you're getting with these resale sites. But SeatGeek, it's like, you could trust them. They put, they pull millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to play there. Like, as you know, there's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. They have a guarantee on everything you buy, so you could buy with confidence. I really like sorting the tickets by value for specific games. You can sort by price, but you can also sort by value to see, like, what am I getting? Like, is this actually a good deal or not? And it's even fun to just download the app, browse through what's going on. I'm looking at what's going on in Toronto. You can get Leafs versus the Blue Jackets for 57 bucks on November 19th. Maybe I'll go. When is November 19th? What's today? Today's it's tomorrow. Maybe, maybe I'll go. Why not? I can with SeatGeek. It'll be so easy. And some people could even go for cheaper than $57 because we have a discount for new users. Brian, why don't you tell them how? Yeah, Keeping Carlson listeners get $20 off their very first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING before you buy your tickets. That's promo code KEEPING, and you'll get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase better value on already great value seat geek life's an event we have the tickets yes they do <laughs> go get those tickets okay nashville we were just talking about victor arvidsson what a fun thing i didn't even plan for this injury we're still in the injury section of the show we're going to be here for a while unfortunately so nashville's in some injury trouble victor arvidsson's going to miss six to eight weeks with a broken thumb pk suban is on the ir with an upper body injury i think we don't really know how long he's going to be out yet uh but with arvidsson out kevin fiala got a shot on the top line with forsberg and johansson but he was bumped yesterday by craig smith 
who until further notice is now both a line one and power play one guy. So Craig Smith, man, like Brian, you love him. And now I imagine you love him even more, right? He had no points yesterday, but he's taken three plus shots in each of his last five games, which is fantastic. Every once in a while, he has a good, I feel like he's one of these guys that gets nothing for three games and then gets one goal and two assists the next game to make his overall numbers look pretty good. So I kind of like Craig Smith in this situation. Kevin Fiala, by the way, like he got that opportunity on the top line, couldn't cash in. He got bumped to, you know, the second line yesterday he was playing with tourists and Kali Yarncroft. And Fiala had been on a modest four-game point streak, but he's pointless in two games. And he got benched for most of yesterday's game versus LA. He only played six minutes and 41 seconds. So it's really hard for anyone to justify holding on to Kevin Fiala at this point, I would say. Brian, like if someone has Fiala on their roster and Craig Smith is available, is that an easy swap at this point? And of course, I will add to that that if Kyle Turris is available, I feel like he's the easy choice over both of them. Kyle Turris had a power play goal yesterday, but I'm the 15 points in 20 games. He's old, reliable. He's good. But also Craig Smith in a really good spot right now. Swapping out Craig Smith, or no, swapping in Craig Smith for Kevin Fiala is, yeah, an easy move to make. Fiala's come so short of expectations, both in the way he's been deployed and the points he's actually produced, that he's not, in most leagues, he's not someone you need to be holding on tight so nobody else grabs him in case he does catch on. It's unlikely anyone else in your league wants to jump on Fiala while he's on line two, uh, not getting long looks at line one, and he's doing very little with the minutes on whichever line he lands on. And now Fiala's probably even further off people's radars. After the Cali Yarncroc hat trick last night, Cali Yarncroc loves to have these big games and go on big runs. Fun hat trick, by the way. One goal at even strength, one on the power play, one shorthanded. I, there must be a special name for that, but I don't know it offhand. Anyway, you all know already that if you're dropping Kevin Fiala, I like Craig Smith, so I'm happily going to add him to my roster, top line, top power play. Uh, but going back to your final point, Elon Torres is probably the guy you want to look at first. He's less line dependent than both these guys and doing just fine for himself as the second line center. Yeah, and of course, Torres is a center, so there might be a reason you want to add a Craig Smith. If you need a winger, you'll get more games out of a winger than a center. Uh, over on defense, like I said, Subban is out. Uh, Ryan Ellis is someone interesting. We've had some questions about him recently. He's kind of been having a disappointing season overall, but he did get 58.3% of the team's power play time yesterday and capitalized with a power play assist and an even strength assist as well. So he had a good game with Subban out. He's now up to 10 points in 20 games on the season, which is a 41-point pace, far from his 60-point pace from last season. He only played 44 games, but he was really great in all those games. So Brian, moving forward, what are you expecting from Ryan Ellis for the rest of the way, both with like Subban out, but then also in general? I feel like you ha- you have him, right? In the cupful? I do, and he's been disappointing, but not so disappointing relative to what we expected from him this season. Ryan Ellis in our almanac, we knew last year's 60-point pace was not going to repeat or was not likely to repeat, but we did wonder aloud if Ellis could get to 50 points, if he was able to keep up some of what were the highest shooting and shot attempt rates of his career. Uh, We love seeing lots of shots from Ryan Ellis because along with guys like Jared Spurgeon, Dustin Bufflin, Shea Weber, and now Thomas Shabbat, as we mentioned on last week's show, uh, Ellis is one of those defensemen who's at the top of the heap in converting his shots into goals closer to the to the the shooting conversion shooting percent success rate of a forward than a defenseman but unfortunately for Ryan Ellis his shot rates have not kept up to last year's pace he's down about half a shot per game averaging just about two each per night uh, and that's not a function of Ryan Ellis playing any less in fact he's playing a little more than last year uh, but unfortunately Ellis has not kept up his shot and shot attempt rates all that said Ryan Ellis is still probably like still expect 40 from him, maybe even 45 points. Keep in mind, Ellis has actually scored zero times on 38 tries. 
So even with lower shot volume, his career history would suggest that he could have picked up about three goals by now. Uh, Ellis's IPP is also a bit low. So you have two choices if you own Ryan Ellis, and it depends on the depth of your league. You could cut bait and wait for him to pick up his game, uh, or at least start scoring a couple more points. Or if you're in a deeper league, I think he makes a pretty good buy low candidate. If his current owner is convinced that at this point, last year was a total fluke, can't be relied on for more than 35, 40 points, maybe you can sneak him away. Hmm, interesting. I don't know. But uh, maybe I'll be curious to know how that projection goes on. Because I was going to say maybe like try to sell high. Like he had a couple points last game. Maybe if he has another good game, you know, and he's doing well with Subban out, maybe that would be a good time to try to ship him away before people realize maybe he's not as good as he was last year. But uh, yeah, he's a tricky one because, you know, it's always tricky to depend on a defenseman who's not like a top power play guy to get you like 50 plus points. It's very rare that that happens. But Ryan Ellis did it last year. And yeah, he's someone I'd like to follow and maybe check back in on in a couple of weeks, or maybe in a month and see how he's doing. Uh, let's go to another. Another injury, Pittsburgh, uh, Petrice Bergeron is out with an upper body injury. We don't know yet the severity. I saw like one of the notes somewhere said it could be a long time, but apparently like he's going to Boston. They're going to look at him and then figure it out. But like, that's a real bummer, right? I have him, Brian, in my PHL league. And like, he's been amazing. 26 points in 19 games. Huge blow to anyone who's been enjoying all this production from Patrice Bergeron. Yesterday, the Bruins went with like, uh, the lines were pretty different than usual, right? So they split up Krejci and Marchand, or sorry, Pasternak and Marchand. Uh, so they were going Krejci, Pasternak, and Andres Bjork. And then Marchand with DeBrusque and Joachim Nordstrom. They got the win, 2-1 over Dallas. I feel like these lines will shift around a bit, but I'm curious, Bradley, what's your general guess as to who's helped or hurt by Patrice Bergeron being out of the lineup? Obviously, it opens up a line one spot. It opens up a top power play spot. Let me throw some names at you, Brian. Actually, I'll just throw you a ton of names, and then you could just sort of, at the end, decide which ones you want to talk about, which ones you think are going to be affected. Like, you've got David Pasternak, first of all, having a monster season himself. He has 17 goals and 25 points in 20 games. 17 goals in 20 games is insane. What is that, like a 70-goal pace? Like, close to it, I think. Patron Joshua asked if he has any underlying numbers to be worried about. If yes, got to imagine they would only be exasperated with Bergeron out of the lineup, right? I'd imagine he's being helped by playing with Patrice Bergeron all the time. Then you got Jake DeBrusque. He scored yesterday. Now has five goals and two assists in his last seven games. So he's really heating up after a slow start. He saw a top power play time yesterday with Marshawn Pasternak, Krejci, and Krug. If uh, DeBrusque is a free agent, now might be a good time to pounce, I think. Like, he may have been drafted in a lot of leagues after a really good year last year and a lot of hype, but then maybe he had a disappointing start. He was dropped. I feel like now would be a good time to add him. Or would you maybe rather add someone like David Krejci, who's been having a fantastic season? He has 16 points in 20 games. Plus, like I said, he was actually on the top power play, which is something very rare. But I guess that's the only way that Krejci gets on PP1 is if Patrice Bergeron is out of the lineup. So... I feel like he might be someone who benefits from losing Bergeron. He's the one I feel like I'm, I'm most confident in him only, even though at the same time, he's probably going to do worse just because he's been doing so well. Like how can he even do any better? So what do you think of these guys? Anyone especially helped or hurt with Bergeron out of the lineup? And once again, condolences to anyone who lost Bergeron themselves. I'm one of you. We're in this together. Hopefully he's going to come back before very long. Uh, Pasternak is on pace for 70 goals this year. Well, 69.7. So Generally, we round up. Anyway, we're not going to get whatever. The point has been made. Uh, and is uh, any struggle that he's having or sorry, any unsustainable luck going to be exacerbated by Bergeron being out? Um, I don't know. Here's the thing with Pasternak is that he probably has a few too many goals, uh, but that's really about it. Pretty incredible that Pasternak has just eight assists in 20 games while playing with Bergeron and Marchand. He has a bit of a low IPP. Uh, So like, I'm not terribly worried about Pasternak's production, uh, like falling off a lot or this being 
awfully unsustainable. 50 goals seems perfectly reasonable from him right now, the way he's clicking. I think Bergeron being absent is going to hurt because Bergeron helps create space and chances, but Pasternak's production is not like a house of cards propped up completely by Bergeron. Pasternak is doing a fair amount of the work himself, but of course, Bergeron is such a good player that him being out is absolutely going to have an impact on the Boston offense and defense as a whole. Uh, we'll start off with Jake DeBrusque, who's been on fire ever since my cupful opponent last week, Brendan, added him. And I was like, ha, great, good job, Brendan. Glad you wasted an ad on Jake DeBrusque, like scoffing to myself. And then, well, uh, DeBrusque went nuts. He had six points in seven games, like you said, Elon, including five goals. Uh, We do like DeBrusque when he's getting the deployment, which he is right now. Five goals on 13 shots won't continue, but 55 points still isn't out of the question if he can hang on to that top power play role for a substantial time. Between he and Krejci, I think I would prefer David Krejci, who probably has a similar, albeit less exciting, ceiling and is not quite as line-dependent as Jake DeBrusque is. The problem with Krejci is that he really is limited in his deployment. Like, he'll never be more than a temporary fixture on the top power play, and his line mates are never two great guys. Uh, So before getting too deep into the rest of the lineup and figuring out what's going to happen with Bergeron out, I mean, we'll see if he misses a couple games. We'll get a look at the lines, and we'll update you next week. But if... The lines you mentioned hold Elon. And just to summarize, you said uh, the Bruins went with Krejci, Pasternak, and Bjork, and then Marchand, DeBrusque, and Joachim Nordstrom. If that holds, obviously Bjork and Krejci are helped, while Marchand and Pasternak are potentially hurt as they both lose their elite centermen. And Pasternak and Marchand become the guy who is charged with driving the offense on their respective lines, which they're sort of in charge of doing already. But they didn't just lose Bergeron, they lost each other. Also, so it should be an interesting challenge to see whether or not they can take it up. Okay, Brian, great analysis. You're very insightful, and we'll have to see what happens with all of these guys. You're also a ridiculous person. I don't know how, in the same like sentence, in the same word, you, you kept switching between DeBrusque and DeBrusque. Like, at least oh. pick one and go with it. Why do you keep changing it? <laughs> Jake DeBrusque. <laughs> so weird. Okay. Uh, also on Boston, the defense is not looking good. Zdeno Chara is out with an MCL injury. He's going to miss at least four weeks. He joins McAvoy, Moore, Carlo, Kevin Miller. Like all these guys are injured. Like this is bad for the Boston Bruins defenseman. They still won in their last game. It's amazing. Uh, obviously not a huge fantasy impact for Chara being out. Like in terms of like, he's not a guy on anyone's rosters who you're depending on for points. But God imagine this isn't good. Like, this is going to come back to catch these Bruins goalies eventually, right? And speaking of whom, Tuka Rask returned from his leave of absence and had a great game on Friday. He stopped 36 of 37 versus Dallas. So maybe he got his head straight, figured out what he needed to. Maybe Rask is back, or maybe it's a one-game sample size and we shouldn't get too excited and he's going to blow it soon. Uh, This had some Halak owners very worried because he got destroyed by Colorado earlier in the week. But he put those fears to rest, I think so at least, uh, with a 2-1 win over Arizona yesterday. But anyways, I guess at this point, if Rask has really come back a new man, this competition is far from over. I feel like we got some heat I forget who it was. One of our patrons said that we were like too quick to say that the job is like, you know, like Halax the starter now and Rask is the backup. Like seems now like with Rask having taken this leave of absence, maybe we're like back at square one, but I'm not worried about Halak. Like he had that one bad game and then I saw him dropped like so much on Yahoo. I was very surprised. Like well, Colorado does that to teams, right? They destroy people. But uh, then, yeah, like I said, Halak was better. So I don't know. Do you have a sense on this goalie situation right now or is it the same old story? Like who knows right now? 
who knows right now is that like it's the same old story. Yes, Yaroslav Halak is better, but the Bruins are going to look at a bad Halak start or a good Rask start as reason to get Rask back in net. That's clearly part of their MO here. Like they're happy to have Halak run the show while Rask is inconsistent. But the moment it seems that Halak is not the best option, even for a day, they'll be happy to give Rask a shot. I don't think Rask, though, is ever going to hold on to uh, like the spotlight or the status crease long enough so that Halak ever falls below 1B status. It will be curious to see, though, just how Tuka Rask performs now that he's being rested more often than any other time in his career. Is that going to help him sustain a little bit more consistency, a little, a little more consistency in good performances? Or is he just going to still be the same old kind of half-broken Tuka Rask that we've seen the last several years? It will be an interesting plot line for anyone who thinks this is, this is Halak's job period. The fact that the Bruins really seem to want Rask to play any opportunity possible and that he's getting a lot of rest. Those two things could coincide to give him a few more starts than you might have anticipated. Yeah, and we'll have to see. Like, maybe Rask will be good. Maybe he'll be bad. I tweeted recently, almost like, not like this bluntly, but kind of like stop asking us goalie questions on Twitter because we just don't know. Like, I don't know. Every goalie is insane. Like, Carey Price is bad. Corey Crawford was bad. Then all of a sudden he's good. Like, every goalie is going to be like, you know, like I'm sure in a couple months from now, like you're going to think to yourself, I need to upgrade my goals. Matt Murray's too terrible. I'm going to trade Murray and like a really strong piece to get back whoever, like Bobrovsky. And then in a couple of months from now, we're going to be doing a podcast about how Bobrovsky is doing terribly and Matt Murray is like destroying the league. Like it's so hard to predict goalies. And so I don't know, like right now it seems like Rask and Halak are going to get even-ish starts for the next little while and we'll go from there. Brian, is that too blunt? Like, am I wrong? I just don't know how to answer these goalie questions. No, I I think that's totally fair. And we're getting a lot because of the mercurial nature of goalies that is really, uh, it seems even more so the case this year than last and the year before that too. So yeah, we, we don't know. We can take our best guess. Elon, I think you've been handling them all very gracefully on Twitter. You can keep asking us, but you know, we, we obviously don't know a whole lot more than what we see on the show. Yeah, I might start using the shrug emoji a little <laughs> bit more. I like that, and I'm going to use it. Not like the actual emoji, like the ASCII shrug. It's very cute, I think. Uh, the one thing I will say is maybe don't like try to upgrade your goalie, quote-unquote, in a two-for-one trade where you're sending away a good forward. I'd almost recommend like keep your crappy goalie as long as they're a starter. Obviously, if they've been bummed for being a starting goalie, that's a whole other thing. But like, Unless it's Corey Schneider also. But like, keep your crappy goalie. Keep your good skater, because you never know if in a month from now that goal is actually going to be good. Okay, so some more uh, belly buttoning. Let's go to Washington. They've had a few injuries lately. All of them seem pretty short-term, though. Holtby, Kuznetsov, Oshi, they're all day-to-day at the moment. I think they're going to be back soon, though, so not worth digging too much into the impact of them being gone. Phoenix Copley has been in and been doing okay in Holtby's absence. Uh, one name that the Caps got back into the lineup, though, was Tom Wilson, who had a suspension shortened. He came back to a pretty plumb spot, line one, and then eventually also power play one once Oshi and Kuznetsov were out and Wilson had a goal in his return nothing versus Winnipeg on Wednesday and then two assists including a power play assist on Friday versus Colorado I think Washington's playing today uh is that right Brian I don't know like I think they are maybe they're not okay so fine forget that but yeah that's what Wilson's been doing good lately three points in three games like I said he also threw three hits on Friday which is a big reason why you have him on your roster 
Got to imagine he's like a must own in bangers leagues where you're benefiting from his hits because he's a top line, top power play guy. And like, Brian, I know you kind of hate him. Like you probably don't want to say it, but I feel like there's an argument that he should probably also be owned in most like points only leagues, like great deployment. He's producing so far. And don't forget that this guy, I know you're ready to like come up with all the reasons why this wasn't sustainable, but like he did have 15 points in 21 playoff games last season. Like, are you mad at me for even suggesting this? But I feel like Tom Wilson, I want him on my roster. I feel dumb for not having added him in a bunch of my leagues, like maybe a day or two, like it came out of nowhere that his suspension was going to be shortened. I had him like on my radar that I would add him maybe like after 18 of the 20 games, but yeah, I didn't get him. And I kind of wish I did. Mm, Okay. I'm not mad about it, but if I hear 15 points in 21 playoff games again, I might get mad. Uh, That number is burned into my brain the same way it was at one point when Troy Brower had a similar playoff run and Dave Boland. And this is the class of players with which Tom Wilson belongs, except Tom Wilson is a worse person for the things he attempts to do on the ice. Uh, Before we get too excited about what Tom Wilson might be able to do this season, with this start. And I, Elon, I just want to say, I appreciate it. Like we have to do our due diligence. So even if I don't like Tom Wilson, we do need to at least address on the show, his fantasy value. Um, back before these last playoffs that you just referenced, Tom Wilson set a career high in regular season points with 35 of them as a forward. I know, but I want to interrupt because, because you said this in the, you said this in the almanac. I yeah. get it, but he wasn't playing all season on the top line with Kuznetsov and Ovechkin, so right? Here's my, here's my comparison. Tom Wilson is like Michael Furland, but Michael Furland with Gaudreau and Monaghan, who like that wasn't working that well. And I think Tom Wilson is also a worse hockey player than Michael Furland. So maybe Tom Wilson can take some kind of a step forward. Like Furland has, he's just 24 years old. I guess there's still a chance, but in all likelihood, Elon, Tom Wilson is picking up points the same way you or I would in the NHL by just being sent over the boards with Ovechkin and Backstrom and Carlson uh, and Kuznetsov. Him getting top power play time is a real head scratcher for me. Tom Wilson had never seen a lick of power play time before, uh, let alone on the top unit. But I imagine that does not last much longer than Oshie and Kuznetsov are out of the lineup. Yeah, for sure. Top power play, definitely not going to last. But I feel like that top line spot is his is his to lose, right? Like he, he was playing there all playoffs long. He's going to stay there until there's a reason to take him off. Jacob Vrana should be there instead. F- fair enough. Also, tell me, is this a hot take? I don't know. Like, is it unfair of us to be saying that Tom Wilson is a bad person? Now, now you're going to get mad at me. Like, obviously, he does like like bad things on the ice that are suspension worthy and that's terrible but who like do we know like does he like give to charity like i feel like there's some real bad well, that doesn't have- necessarily offset like anything terrible yeah. people can give to chat no we don't know <laughs> i don't know tom wilson's moral character i'm sure he's made lots of you know kids happy in some very special situations but the way uh, he treats other human beings on i mean like it's part of the thing and it's totally He's incentivized to do it. Look at the contract he got for playing the way he plays. Uh, Washington wants him thrown right on the ice all the time with their top players. Like this is, it's not just Tom Wilson, right? This is a bigger problem. It's Washington's problem. It's the NHL's problem. It's hockey's problem. So no, I'm not going to put that all on Tom Wilson's shoulders, but I still, you know, like it bothers me. I don't want to see anybody like, like think back to the highlight. I can't even remember the player who he just destroyed in a preseason game for no reason. Yeah, I I mean, I agree with you. Like, I hate the violence in hockey, and I know we don't want to get into this debate. But just to say, like you said, like, we don't know what the coach is telling him to do. Like, you know, he is employed. Like, I don't know. Just because there are some people who I don't want to name names that actually are bad people, like from off ice actions that I don't know if we necessarily want to lump him in. Anyway, 
And, uh, who knows? Maybe he is a bad person. We don't know. Okay, let's go to another team. Uh, players, ret- Let's talk about another player returning from suspension. Nate Schmidt makes his debut today. The game is going as we're talking. The Golden Knights are playing. The Edmonton Oilers is currently 2-1 for Edmonton. Let's see. How's Nate Schmidt doing? He's uh, plus one, but he has no points. So already you know, on the ice for a goal. So that's good. He's obviously a big part of the team. Actually, like last season, he was solid even offensively. Right, 36 points in 76 games. Nothing to sneeze at. I kind of feel like they're like, I'd be curious to know, like, do you expect more of the same this season or do you think Schmidt has like more or less to offer? Like one thing that's different is like uh, Vegas hasn't been scoring as many goals. I don't believe as they did last season. So maybe it'll be harder for Schmidt to get to like this 40 point pace, but he seems like a pretty solid own in a lot of leagues. Like, he's decent for peripherals also. Yeah, so when he comes back, you can expect more of the same from Nate Schmidt, exactly what you just summarized. Keep in mind also that Nate Schmidt is a pretty solid defenseman on the whole. He can skate, move the puck, play actual defense, and keep in mind that Vegas has been feeling regression really hard in their second season, but it's also, I think, been compounded to some extent by the absence of Nate Schmidt's important and steadying presence on the back end. So here's hoping that Schmidt's return uh, not only offers you perhaps a fantasy relevant player in your league, but it bodes well defensively for Vegas goalies like Marc-Andre Fleury. And it bodes well offensively for other guys who are struggling, one of whom I guess we're about to get to, but first the defense. Yeah. Okay. So friend of the podcast and friend of mine, I'd like to say maybe one day, uh, Daniel Negreanu uh, suggested to me that Schmidt's return will be great for Colin Miller, who has been assuming apparently Schmidt's shutdown duties and will now be able to get back to his role from last year which was more offensive so maybe we're about to see an uptick from Colin Miller uh by the way Daniel uh called that Tuck was gonna break out when he came back and he's like Brian I know you don't like that because you you want me to always mention that you also called that Alex Tuck was gonna have a good season it's very good but just to say Daniel knows what he's talking about and yeah Miller was already on my radar he had four assists in his last five games two on the top power play it looks like he bumped Shea Theodore from the top power play recently though it looks like both power plays are getting equal time like if you recall uh, William Carlson is now on the second units so they're maybe trying to rebalance things a little bit anyways with that plus Daniel's take do you think it's time for people to jump on Colin Miller if he's available I did in the cupful though I'll admit one of the reasons is because I have Theodore and I just felt like I want to hold both of them for a little bit in case like it turns out that Miller's the one to own and, and Theodore isn't then I, I have dibs I don't know if I'd want to hold both of them all season long though Theodore apparently has an assist today but what, what are your thoughts on Colin Colin Miller at this point. My thoughts on Colin Miller are that you should probably go for him uh, because this season, not only uh, has it been unfair or the hockey gods have taken away all that they gave Vegas last year, but Colin Miller has lost a lot of fortunate variants himself. No goals on 44 shots so far. So he's in the running to be this year's Duncan Keith, along with Ryan Ellis at 6% on ice shooting percentage, which is a few points lower than it should be. Even strength IPP below 20% for a defenseman like Colin Miller. He should be getting in on like 35 to 40% of the goals scored while he's on the ice. Colin Miller got 41 points last year and even like all this unfortunate variance doesn't tell a story uh, that he deserves to have so few points this year. Like Colin Miller's game has not really changed. I think he's going to be really positively affected by both this bump and deployment to the top power play unit. Though keep in mind, it may not last. And I'm going to call back again to Nate Schmidt's return as well. uh, Who's going to help shoulder some of that defensive load. I've added Colin Miller in one of my leagues and I encourage you to do the same if a 40 to 45 point sometimes top power play quarterback is going to offer you some value in your format too. Elon, I'm going to ask you a question and Uh-oh. I hope you're, you're ready to answer. Uh-oh. I'm not really because I've had a hard time valuing Shea Theodore a lot. And by the way, oh no, I'm actually going to get to that later in the show. But what do you think we should be doing 
with Shea Theodore. Now that Colin Miller's on the top power play, I always have a tough time reading the Vegas blue line. Theodore just feels like a 40-point guy to me as well. I don't know that I'd drop him for Miller, but he also doesn't seem like a must-hold. Yeah, I feel like Miller, or sorry, I feel like Theodore, just like Miller, I feel like they have similar value right now. They're right on the edge, probably shouldn't be free agents, but aren't like must grab like and hold forever. Like it's tough right now to know, like Theodore has been decent enough lately. Like what, what I'm seeing here, like four points in his last seven games. Like every once in a while he gets assists. He has an assist today, like I said, on a goal by William Carlson. So uh, I don't know, like he was supposed to be like, remember when he came from Anaheim and it was like, oh, Theodore's the sure shot, like offensive defenseman on this team. He's going to be one of the best fantasy owns on Vegas. That's what we thought going into the season, him and like Vadim Shipashov talking about going into last season. And like, it hasn't worked out that well, but he's still been solid enough that I wouldn't just drop him at this point. I would probably like what I did, right? If you could uh, afford to do it, like maybe grab both Miller and Shea Theodore, give it a couple weeks and then reassess. Like, I don't think Miller's been bad enough. <laughs> I keep saying Miller. I don't think that Theodore's been bad enough to drop, but I'm also not, like, super excited that I have him. I'd be, send me trade offers, a couple <laughs> tier two, if you if you are higher on Shea Theodore than me. It won't take too much for you to take him from me. I don't think it's a coincidence that you're confusing Miller and Theodore because of how often they switch places on the top power play and how similar their point projections are because of it. Like, because they're essentially in the same spot, just trading places. Yeah. And so we'll see. With Schmidt back, whole new situation. Uh, Patron Anthony asked us to talk about Riley Smith, who's had a disappointing season so far with only seven points in 20 games, though he does have an assist tonight. So on this famous goal that we I keep referencing, William Carlson assisted by Riley Smith and Shea Theodore. So make that now eight points in 21 games. But yeah, only one point in his last eight going into today. And Smith, like he's been in good deployment. He's been on the top line with Marsha and Carlson, the top power play with Marsha So, Petcheretti, Tuck, and one of Miller or Theodore. So the deployment is there, same as last year. Perhaps, Brian, I'm going to throw a theory at you. Does Riley Smith have a pattern for his career that he's been following and we should have just seen it? Like in his first year with Boston, he put up 51 points and then he followed it up with 40. Then he got moved. Then he went to Florida where he had 50 points in his first season there, then only 36 in the next. So again, good first year, bad second year. Then he went to Vegas last year where we had 60 points in 67 games, which was great. But now he's in his second year. And so far, continuing the pattern of being a lot worse in the second year on a new team. Uh, I don't know. Like, I like his deployment. It's hard to say he's going to do nothing. Like I said, he just got an assist today. But also, I don't know. Maybe he's just a 50-point guy. Like, maybe that 51-point career high that he had in Boston way back when, maybe that's the Riley Smith that we should just expect, even with his deployment on Vegas. Ryan Smith giving Craig Anderson a run for his money and having such a consistent on and off year pattern in his career. Did you say Ryan Smith? Wasn't he someone else? Oh yeah. Riley Smith. Excuse me. Riley Ryan Smith. Smith. Ryan Smith was on Edmonton, I believe. Of of course. Of course. course. Captain Canada. Sorry. Sorry. Um, You said it. (laughs) Riley Smith. Oh yeah. Uh, His rounded shooting percentages in the six years before this one showing this on-off pattern, 9%, 14 15%, 9%, 15%, 9%, 14%, and he's currently down at 7%, uh, which is the next sequence in that pattern if you are an elementary school math student. One number that's also down for Riley Smith, but not as a pattern, his on-ice shooting percentage, barely above 4%, and that's a big reason why Smith is not on track to have anywhere near the 45 assists he pulled last year. Not that we'd have expected him to get that many again, but unfortunate, like Vegas, like Colin Miller, 
Riley Smith's variance has swung too far in the opposite direction from last year's friendliness. I still like Riley Smith to pace for 20 goals and 35 assists when everything is even keel. 50 points to me, Elon, a very conservative projection, especially uh, like maybe it works out if he does lose either or both of his top line, top power play spots for extended time. I think there's plenty of time and space for a bounce back, though. 50 feels too low for Riley Smith, given given the skill he has in the deployment we can expect. If he's in free agency, you might not need to run and go get him now, but you should be ready. Like He should be on your watch list, easy access for the moment where you do want him, uh, because I think he will be a fantasy-relevant player throughout the year, uh, just a matter of time for when that begins. Okay, that's fair. And like I said, we had a patron wanting us to ask about him, Anthony. And I'll let you know that Riley Smith right now, Brian, you want to guess his percentage owned in the Cacupful through the 16 Cacupful divisions? Is this Riley Smith still? Yeah, Riley Smith. Uh, I mean, I should I should know all my multiple uh, all my percentages possible. Just ballpark. Uh, we're gonna go seventy. No, hundred. He still he still oh, hasn't great. been dropped. So he still hasn't been dropped in any Cupful division. So I would say, Anthony, if, if all the brilliant people in the Cupful haven't dropped him, I don't know if you have him. You just have to talk about him. Like, I don't think you should either, right? Like, hopefully he'll do better. Like, Brian says he's he's in too good of a spot to not be fantasy relevant. We'll let you know if he starts dropping. Like, he'll need to have a lot. Now that he's gotten this assist, I feel like he's bought himself an, at least another week or two before people start considering dropping him in the Cupful. Uh, one other guy I'll mention on Vegas. How about Cody Eakin? Killing it as the line two center with Eric Halla out. Eakin has six points in his last six games. Eakin has also just recently started to get power play two time uh, in on that pretty good unit with William Carlson, like I said, in the last two games. Should people be eyeing Cody Eakin as a stream while holding down this deployment, centering Pacioretty and Alex Tuck on the second line? Good stream is what Cody Eakin is. He's not really a long-term ad. You don't want to drop anyone to make too big of an investment in him. But Cody Eakin is in a good place in the lineup. He had four goals on eight shots, and that got all of our attention um, so yeah, decent, decent spot in the lineup and streak for a stream. Remember the days, Elon, when Cody Eakin was a stream because he was a third piece on the Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben line. It's like a similar situation here, though, obviously not quite as good. Yeah, well, of course, there were like a bunch of people jumping in and out of that spot. Like Patrick Eves was also one of them that would get in there every once in a while. And yeah, Cody Eakin doing well now. And I'd grab him if you can. If it's a deep enough league, grab him and keep him until he slows down. Uh, the type of sometimes though in fantasy, it's tricky. You can't just grab a guy because you have to drop someone. You don't know who to drop. But if you want to have Cody Eakin on your team right now, one way to do it is to play daily fantasy with our friends and sponsor for this week's episode, which are our friends over at FanDuel, because FanDuel, it's a great way to play fantasy hockey, but just for a single day. It's fantasy hockey for everyday fans. There's new contests starting every day. You play whenever you want. There's something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from starting at just $1. You pick a contest. You choose your team just for that day. You've got a budget, so you got to take, you know, you choose which stars you want to take. They're going to take the majority of your budget. Then you're going to have to find some value, guys. It's a lot of fun. You watch your score in real time, see how you did. Every week, we have our Keeping Carlson FanDuel League, which is a lot of fun for our listeners and myself and brian always play last week i don't know maybe we don't need to talk about it too long i i didn't do too well but you know uh neither did brian actually we both stunk but fabini better than you and very you okay i think i was top 10 why did you come on (laughs) you were top i'm looking at it right now you weren't top 10 brian i was 11th okay good (laughs) here you go let's give him a let's give him this brian 11th where did you finish elon I don't know. I'm not keeping track. <laughs> I didn't do well. Last? Okay, 16th out of uh, 26. Not, not terrible. I had a good roster. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. You know, like, well, oh, 
I, I had Darcy Kemper on me. Like, Darcy Kemper's been so weird, right? I thought he was such a good value goalie. He's no. been He's had some games where he's been, like, the best goalie of the night. Like, more often than not. But in this game, he lost 6-1 to one to Detroit. Gave me negative points, which didn't help uh, compared to the winner, which was Fabini, who had Frederick Anderson, who got that 5-1 win over LA. 25.6 points for Anderson. So, quite a goalie swing right there. Fabini also had Connor McDavid, which is always great. You got to spend a lot to get him. But when you get him, it's good. And that was that great 6-2 win over Montreal. He also had Dreisaitl, so he stacked him. Smart, smart guy. Congratulations to Fabini. Brian, why don't you tell our listeners right now how they can play in our next FanDuel contest? we got to do something, right? There's only like one game on Tuesday. Smart, smart guy or gal, just for we don't know. Don't and know. also, I just want to give my excuse. I spent like a large part of my salary on Kucherov, Hedman, and Braden Point, and Carter Hutton decided to be unstoppable. Very frustrating. Otherwise, I definitely would have been first place. Uh, okay. FanDuel Listener Contest. This week, it's not on a Tuesday because there's only one game. It's going to be on a Wednesday. Wow, the novelty. If you want to come and take Elon and I on and be a part of the reason why we shame, try and shame each other based on our <laughs> the place where we finish in the FanDuel Listener Contest, all you need to do is head on over to FanDuel.com slash Carlson, spelled like Eric's last name, FanDuel.com slash Carlson. If you're a new user, you're going to get a $5 deposit bonus when you make your first deposit on FanDuel using our promo code. Again, just visit FanDuel.com slash Carlson. Sign up with our promo code. And uh, also, please join us Wednesday for our listener contest. It's always a lot of fun. It'll open sometime Wednesday morning around 10 a.m. Eastern. So make sure to go and get your spot because spots are limited. Yeah, We have a code, Brian. What's our code? Fandle, it's Carlson. Okay, it's Carlson. You yeah. kept on referencing this code. Well, I think if you, you go, go to the link, fandle.com slash Carlson, it should all happen automatically. Yeah. If Ma- you, like, please use the link. That, the, that's the best way to do it. The magic of the internet. That's the only way to get into our contest, our listener league. Okay, uh, let's continue with the show. We still got a lot of players I want to talk about. One more injury I want to get to. Sammy Vatnin is on the IR with a lower body injury for the New Jersey Devils. I know, Brian, you were bummed about this. You have Vatnin in your cupful tier one division, and you were like, no, Vatnin's injured. I already had Fowler injured. Now, ugh. Terrible. You still won this week, though, right? Yes, and I had one of the best scores, I think, in all the cupful. I'm excited for you to do your your roundup where you find the, the highest score. I feel like I'm top 10 this week for sure. Oh, by the way, I didn't send, I didn't post my message this week about who had the highest cupful score because the guy who had it uh, like isn't in the cupful zone Facebook group. And I sent you an email. So like, check your email. Anyway, he, he responded. He did? What did he say? He's in. He joined the group. He said, thank you. I think it was, was it Ben? Was it a Ben? Now you're pretty much, I don't remember. It sounds like it could have been a Ben. Yeah, it was like, uh, yeah, I, it was a Ben. Okay, good good job, anyway, Ben. He's going he's gonna to receive his plot. It's in the cupful zone now. Okay. What are we talking about? Sammy Vatnin's injured. Right. <laughs> uh, so with him out, Damon Severson has been getting a bump in ice. I'm, I'm already ready for Brian to do his talk about Severson and say like Severson, Severson, like every single second word changed around. Pretty sure it's Severson. Okay. He's been getting a bump in ice time. He's seen over 20 minutes in his last four games after being below 20 minutes for a while. I feel like that's my threshold, Brian. That's one of the reasons why I think I'm done with Kevin Shattenkirk. I can't, I can't take owning a defenseman who has less than 20 minutes every single game. But Severson's been over that threshold and he had an assist yesterday versus Detroit, bringing him to five points in his last four games is severson on your radar at all as a depth defenseman ad like i recall we were excited about him like a long time ago i feel like in the, maybe the first or second season of keeping carlson he like kind of burst on the scene and had a really strong start to his career and then sort of faded away and became a non-entity but like hard to ignore his ignore his current 59 point pace on the season so i feel like while batten's out severson some people should be looking at 
Sure, I'm going to get to Severson. First, Sammy Vatnin, what a bummer. Even though he didn't have a ton of points or power play time, Sammy Vatnin was great to have in leagues that reward peripherals. He had about two shots, two hits, two blocks each game. So uh, hopefully he's not out too long. Also, as an aside, we've talked about Vatnin. We've talked about Shea Theodore. They're just, and we talked about also Lindholm and Manson and Fowler. Like these Anaheim Ducks uh, defensemen and Anaheim Ducks defensemen alumna they're everywhere. They're all over the place trying to like, what a great solid decor they had. It's unfortunate now that they are giving up like just bleeding shots against Uh, your question was about Damon Severson. Sure. As a depth ad, absolutely. He saw 26 minutes in Sammy Vatanen's first game out of the lineup. And that could very well become a theme if Vatanen's out for a little while. Severson quietly had two goals and five assists for seven points in his first eight games. Now has one goal and four assists for five points in his last five games. That's a lot being driven by a 73% IPP, which is high for a forward let alone a defenseman. It's, it's high for some forwards, let alone a defenseman like Severson, who has little offensive pedigree. His, his IPP should generally be around 35%. To his credit, though, five of his nine even strength assists have been primaries, but even still, I'm not expecting this production to last. But if you want to give him a go, you can, except it's just, it's not like Vatnin's out, so there's a whole lot of production to step into. Vatnin was not producing a whole lot himself offensively, so I'm not sure that there's any offense that suddenly needs to be redistributed. Although Severson, if he wants, can try and make offensive use of his extra minutes. Yeah, for sure. So it's like, if you're in a league where defensemen are really hard to come by, he's a guy to add to your watch list at this point. But yeah, don't expect a huge breakout. Another devil that actually has been breaking out lately, coming out of nowhere, is someone named Blake Coleman, who has seven points in his last six games. I think that's before today. I think Devil's played today. But yeah, no power play time, but he's just getting a ton of points. Patron Adam asked us to bring him up this week. Uh, But I was, of course, going to anyway, just so I could ask you, Brian. Brian, who the heck is Blake Coleman? Is there any chance he could keep this up, or is this for sure fleeting production? Blake Coleman is a small, soon-to-be 27-year-old forward who's never had much of a look at the NHL level since being drafted 75th overall in the third round by the Devils all the way back in 2011. In fact, Blake Coleman, despite almost being 27, he finished college. So this is just his third professional season. Uh, We still haven't seen a lot of what he has to offer, even though he's essentially exiting his prime years. He's been pretty all right at the AHL level. Coleman had 19 goals and 20 assists for... 39 points in 52 games in his only full AHL season for Albany. And I'm actually uh, not going to write off what he's been doing at the NHL level this year. Elon, you brought him up because he's looked impressive uh, in rote scoring stats. He's actually looking pretty good in his rate stats too and underlying numbers. Coleman is seventh. Is, no, he is second in five-on-five points per 60 on the Devils behind only Travis Zajac. He's second in five-on-five shots per 60 behind only Taylor Hall. He's third in shot attempts per 60 behind Taylor Hall and Miles Wood. Uh, Coleman's shooting percentage may be a little high. Same with his on-ice shooting percentage. But this is the sort of uh, profile that we're curious to see what happens when uh, it gets a bump in deployment. So with a nice improvement in deployment for Coleman, and if he can keep up his shot and shot attempt rates, uh, he's someone to be keeping an eye on in the vein, like the same way we've been keeping an eye on Miles Wood for the last year and a bit. So uh, like, don't totally disregard, even though Blake Coleman is kind of a boring name, should be on your watch list. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He's not on my watch list. I, I got to see power play time to get really excited about someone. Just in a do- deep league. Yeah, in a super deep league. Keep your eye on him. Yeah, in a, uh, in a kind of quasi deep league. How much you want to bet uh, uh, that he's not going to get like any points next week? 
Uh, no, I, like I was just being, you're, you're pretty much right. Maybe I'm, I'm just saying like my tendency when you bring up these guys is just be like, guys, 27 years old. Like he's never done anything. Forget it. But like, he actually looks pretty good under the hood. So it, I'd be really interested to see what he could do with the sustained opportunity, which it sounds like you're not sure this is going to be that. Uh, well, okay. Balls in your court, Blake Coleman. I'm not expecting to say your name ever again on Keeping Carlson, but, you know, make me do it. I'll be happy to. Uh, Brian, the chat room here is giving us a ton of updates. A bunch of players that we've already talked about are having games. Like, over on Anaheim, uh, Montour now has three points. It's three to one for Anaheim over the Avalanche. So we already said we want you to add him. All the more so now. Now I feel you have to add him quickly because now he's going to start getting on everyone's radars. Andre Kasha finally got that goal that we were waiting for. So he's got a goal. Plus uh, that goal by Andre Kasha, assisted by Ryan Getzlaff. So I don't have the line combos. I guess I could check the real-time Dauber line combos here. But I was saying, what if Kasha gets on a Getzlaff line? That would be pretty sweet. And right now I'm seeing Kasha with Getzlaff and Raquel. I called it. Guys, trust me. Like I prepped this document before the game started. So don't think that I'm being a big phony here. But it's happening. So forget about Pontus Auberg. Grab yourself some Andre Kasha stat. Then this Golden Knights versus Edmonton game. Who did we talk about? We talked about all these guys. So Shea Theodore has an assist. Colin Miller has a power play assist. Riley Smith now has two assists. Like all these guys we talked about, we've been lighting a fire under them. Pacioretty scored a goal. Cody Eakin with a shorthanded goal. So all these guys also might, you might have to grab them quickly. And also, by the way, Brian, Cam Talbot? Ugh. Not good. Four goals against now on 11 shots. I feel like he's probably going to get pulled soon. I actually added Miko Koskinen in the cupful, thinking that like he might be the starter now on Edmonton. Like Talbot got the start today because Koskinen played yesterday. So it was a back-to-back and Talbot stinks this season. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. It's not like Edmonton is tied to him for any reason. I don't know. After today, I feel like I'd be, again, caveat with all the goalie recommendations, but I feel like I'm kind of thinking... Like, I'm done with Cam Talbot. I might suggest that people could drop him in leagues where, you know, like maybe there's some goalies available. And I feel like Miko Koskinen is quickly becoming a must-add for me. Like, he's having a great season so far. And this Edmonton team should be good if they could get some goaltending. Could be a little good. So here's the thing. I'm going to, like, I agree with you. I also feel as though there's a strong possibility that by most by the time most people are listening to this the Edmonton Oilers will have a new coach like this this has to be the end for Todd McClellan right and if it is then things will change uh, in how the team plays and maybe new oper- like clean slates will be offered if not though let's remember that Cam Talbot Elon you actually reminded me earlier this week when I'm like I'm not sure about Miko Koskinen uh, Talbot seems to be the Oilers' guy he's not signed beyond this season uh, neither is Koskinen so why not just try and go with the guy who seems better give him as many games as he can handle uh, Koskinen has a new move clause for whatever reason and is getting paid two and a half million dollars so you might as well throw him in and see what he can offer you if Cam Talbot isn't doing the job um, which he's not he's not doing the job so uh, Miko Koskinen, if you are desperate for a goalie, will make a fantastic ad that probably a lot of people don't realize is a legit threat to take over starts because of how ridiculed the Oilers were for making that signing in the offseason. I'm not saying his play so far necessarily justifies it. There are a whole lot of other places where they probably could have focused their attention, but uh, it helps. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't want to brag, but I just will say that on the same day that Louis Demain got added for fifty fab dollars in my couple division, I got Miko Koskinen for zero dollars. So uh, we'll see who ends up happier come couple playoff time. Uh, so Brian, that's it finally for the injuries and outjuries. I've got a lot of players on hot streaks and cold streaks that I wanted to bring up, so maybe we could turn this into a bit of a lightning round. But I do have like a ton of players actually. I feel like it would be silly to call this a lightning round, but I definitely want to start with a request from patron Scott. And of course, uh, uh, average TOI favorite and average TOI is one of my favorite Twitter accounts. And they're one of their favorite players is New York Ranger rookie, Philip Heedle, which is spelled Cheadle, but it's apparently pronounced Heedle. He's also known as Philly heat. And he scored yesterday for the pan uh, against the Panthers in his third straight games. So it's three straight games with a goal for Philip Heedle. What a guy before that he only had three assists in 17 games, but I have a couple reasons to think that this is like something new and we could just throw out the previous games. First of all, he's had 11 shots over these most recent three games. He only had four shots over his previously last seven games. So I feel like he's must be in some sort of a new situation where he's getting the opportunity to take all these shots. He, and, and what it is, I can tell you what it is top line deployment. He's been, he had been playing with Mika Zibanejad and Zuccarello a couple games ago. Zuccarello though is injured again with his groin injury. He came back, but now he's injured again. And so they shifted up the lines. And in the last, games of bandage was playing with Domestikov and fast but Heedle was playing with Kevin Hayes and Chris Kreider so still a really good spot and Heedle's been on the top power play with Kreider's advantage at Domestikov and Pionk as of the last game so Brian is Philly Heat becoming the next hot free agent that everyone needs to rush an ad before it's too late or do you expect this run to be fleeting and he'll be another one of these guys that we don't mention again for the rest of the season Heedle was someone we sort of tabbed out of training camp. It's like he'd had a good training camp, had a good, like seemed to have impressed team brass. And it took a while for him to finally get his turn in good deployment. But now Heedle has broken the seal and seemingly can't stop. Heedle's deployment has been all over the place so far in terms of line mates uh, to get to where he has been now. Uh, he played for a little, like a short stretch with Zuccarello and Hayes, then a short stretch on the fourth line with Vinny Letary and Cody McLeod. Otherwise, uh, he's been mixed and matched all over the lineup. But it's nice to hope that maybe with some production, he'll get some consistency in his line mates. And one thing working in his favor in where he places in the depth chart in New York is that the Rangers are using him at right wing. Uh, that's where he's been playing with Zibanejad and where uh, like the Rangers need that sort of help at right wing because their other options on the right wing are Jesper Faust, now Ryan Strom, Vinny Letary, and that's it. So Heedle moving from center to the wing is great flexibility for him to have so that he can climb up the depth chart rather than be stuck as potentially the third center behind Zibanejad and Kevin Hayes. And assuming they keep using him on the right side, I'd go ahead and look for Heedle in a deep league with those shot counts and deployment. Uh, great signs that perhaps we're about to see some flashes. Maybe he can be the second runner up in Calder voting this year. <laughs> maybe it's between him and maybe Brady Kachuk. Oh, no, Brady Kachuk is first runner-up, you're saying? Yeah. I see. Okay, yeah, I can see it happening. Heedle's looking good. I love what the average TOI guys uh, and gals are doing on their account. Every single time he scores a goal, you have to microwave a beer and then drink it. That's what's called the Philly Heat, apparently. Seems kind of gross, but uh, that's what you got to do when you get a goal from Philly Heat. So if you want to add him, that's the only condition, if you want to have him on your fantasy team. And then you have to tweet at us. And is it AVG time on ice? I, I, I forget. Just I think that's it. AVG time on ice. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Tweet at both of us with your video of your drinking your hot beer every single time. Philly Heat scores a goal. Uh, he's not the only Ranger, by the way, doing well. And, like, and a player that's also someone that might be available as a free agent in your league. Like over the last seven games played, we've got Chris Kreider, nine points 
in his last seven games. So an unbelievable run for Chris Kreider. Kevin Hayes has eight points in his last seven. Neil Pionk, who we've already talked about a bunch on the show. We hope you added him. I, we told you to. If you don't have him on your team and you had the opportunity, that's on you. That's not on us, okay? He's got seven points now in his last seven games. And Brian, like I said before, I'm over Kevin Shattenkirk. You can let me know if, if you disagree, but I feel like, like if someone like Montour or like a, a Mike Green, I don't know. Like if, if there's like, like a decent enough first power play defenseman available, like enough with Shattenkirk. Forget about it. He's not on the top power play. He's playing us in 10 minutes a game. I know he gets an assist every once in a while, but blech. Okay. Zabanajad, seven points in his last seven. Jimmy Vc has six points in his last seven. Nemesnikov, who's getting great deployment. I wonder if it's just to show him off so that they could get value for him in a trade. But he's got five points in his last seven. So a bunch of Rangers here that are doing well. Next week, like you said, is, has that really weird schedule with Thursday off and Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, super full. The Rangers play on all three of those super full days, but also on Monday. So that might be a good day to stream in one of these Rangers, maybe grab Philly Heat for Monday. Uh, any of these players you want to talk about, I'll just kind of throw it to you, up to you, right? Like any of these numbers, numbers, especially sustainable or fleeting to you? Well, I think they just illustrate that New York is scoring a lot. In their last 10 games, the Rangers have scored three, four, or five goals in eight of them. Uh, that's amazing. So they are just racking up goals. Uh, and actually, somehow, remember, Elon, we were saying where I was like cheekily saying, I guess this mu- has to be a rebuild year. Uh, now they have won seven of their last nine. And I say that slowly because I'm calculating this on the fly. But I'm pretty sure that's what's happened. And um, good for them. It's nice that their players are all clicking, but I'm not sure that any of this, like Zabanejad, I'm going to give him sustainability. Uh, Jimmy Hay- or Kevin, Kevin Hayes, Jimmy VC probably producing a little more. Like these guys are all the guys. Nothing's changing in my projections for any of them. Uh, your point on Shattenkirk is well taken. Like he's not playing on the top power play. Doesn't seem like they're willing to really give him much of a look there. He's playing with Tony D'Angelo on the second unit if he is playing on the second unit. So um yeah, you can leave him until, like, I don't know what's going to have to happen to Pionk for Shattenkirk to get up to the top unit again. It seems like the spot just might be gone, which is crazy. It's not crazy. Pionk is great. He's doing so well. Yeah, no, he totally. Pionk is earning it and holding it. It's just, it's baffling that I, I still think, as you know, that Kevin Shattenkirk has some really great power play quarterback skills that are just uh, kind of going to waste. Maybe time for a trade though. Who's going to take that contract? And like <laughs> he was lined, he was lining up to be a ranger for so long and they were just waiting to get him to like, this was such like a predestined uh, thing to happen for, for him to end up in New York, both for him and the team. And it's just gone so poorly. I'm sure lessons have been learned. Yeah. Uh, Rangers also made a trade Ryan Spooner to the Oilers for Ryan Strome. I feel like there's nothing relevant here. Right. Also, I just remembered back when we were talking about LA, they made a trade Tanner Pearson for uh, Haglin. I feel like that's not very relevant either. Maybe like relevant for Pittsburgh getting uh, Pearson who I saw was playing with Malkin, but anyways, uh, Spooner for Str- like any, anything about these trades. I feel like there's nothing much to say. No, I don't think there's a whole lot to say either. Like, uh, I don't know. Ryan Strome, no, there's nothing to say. I don't know. What, neither guy uh, seems to be terribly well. Like, like they're both on now at least their third team. Uh, Ryan Spooner seems to just not be liked wherever he goes by the coaching staff. So I'm not hopeful for him heading into Edmonton. And uh, Ryan Strom, I mean, maybe like he could play on the right side and the others could use that. So we'll see if he gets good deployment. Uh, we'll, we'll wait a couple games to see how he shakes out in their lineup. Yeah, you mean Spooner, not Strom. Strom, we saw, did not work out with the Edmonton Oilers, that's for sure. Uh, Spooner's been playing today with RNH, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and Alex Chiasson. 
Apparently, I'm looking at the real-time line combos. Not on the top power play. By the way, Alex Chiasan, uh, top that well, that line and top power play, it looks like. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Connor McDavid, Dreisaitl, Chiasan, and Oscar Clefbaum on the top power play for Edmonton today. But they're losing. They'll probably shake it up again, just like they always do, because they suck. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> don't play Talbot. Maybe that'll help. Uh, let's go to Florida. Mike Hoffman. First of all, has been bumped to the top line. I don't know if we mentioned that. So Nick Bjugstad gone. It's been Hoffman, Barkov, and Dadanov on like a, such an amazing line. Like I love this line. And Hoffman's been insane. He's up to 18 points in 17 games. He's on like a point streak that's been going on forever. Feels like since the start of the year. Like the Sens and the Sharks get, both gave away Mike Hoffman for nothing. For like no reason. Like because of off-ice issues that like what didn't even have to do with him or maybe like tangentially had to do with him, right? Like so dumb. Like, I don't even know. Like, I don't want to hear this. Like, who would have been tough in the locker room? Like seems to be going pretty well for Florida with Mike Hoffman. So I'm just gonna throw that out there. I don't want to hear any more of this. I, I get so annoyed when I hear the media talking about a player needs to be moved because he's tough in the locker room. Like, like these are professional hockey players. You go on the ice, you pass to the guy, you shoot the, I mean, this is uh, their job. They've been training their whole life for this. So I'm like, Oh, this guy is, I don't know. So but stupid. Elon, when you are playing, like when you're at work mm-hmm. and you're on a team with someone that you don't love, is your productivity or morale affected at all? Like, I believe this is a real thing to the extent that like me, the thing with the media is they generally will kneecap a guy when he's on his way out or when he's already gone. And then a lot of it is like made up garbage. But I think it's a real thing that if you're like forced to work with people you don't like or that people that are rude or bad people, um, it doesn't feel good and your productivity and, and uh, capabilities might be affected. I guess so. I don't know. I'd be a professional at work. I don't think I would have my productivity affected. Also, like, if you're going to move Mike Hoffman, can we get someone back? Who do they get? Tierney? I don't know. Like, I get, or maybe he was from Bodker. Come on. Mike Hoffman, again, 18 points in 17 games. Top line, like, superstar in the league. Fantastic. Okay, anyway, whatever. People are very happy if they drafted him. Uh, Vetrano's been on the second line with Huberdo and Trocek. He hasn't done much. Not much to talk about. Bjugstad dropped down to line three. He has one point in his last four. He had a pretty decent start to the season, but I feel like he's probably a snoozer in a lot of leagues now, now that he's out of the top six. Do you concur with that? And maybe before you answer that, we could also talk about uh, Aaron Ekblad, who had a power play goal in each of his last three games <laughs> from the second power play unit. So he hasn't been on the top power play, but he's definitely taking advantage of the power play time. He does get, Ekblad also had five shots yesterday. Is there anything here? Like he uh, has kind of been a guy we've for- not forgotten about, but we've sort of said like, we're not going to rank him as someone who's going to be a high offensive contributor while Keith Yandel is on the Panthers. And now Ekblad, these three games in a row, just like Hedl, right? Scoring a goal in each of the last three games. Do you think he could keep this up? Do you think he's the type of guy that people should be adding if he's been dropped in their leagues? Um, eh, like Aaron Eckblad has three goals on his last 10 shots. Good for him. He had two assists in 14 games before that. So I'm still pretty uninterested in him, but like you can try him in a deeper league. It's nice that he's getting some shots still. That's been at least the one thing he can offer uh, because he doesn't offer really anything else in the way of peripherals or generally points. Uh, Bjugstad, you can probably let go of. Like, when he's on the top line, he's barely worth holding on to if he's not producing. If Bjugstad's on the third line and not producing, definite snoozer. And Mike Hoffman, yeah, what a season he's having. I mean, I remember we were a little anxious to even project him for 60 points at the start of the year because we didn't exactly know how he'd be, how he'd be deployed. But I think now Hoffman has a really good chance at keeping what he's doing up well enough to join the 70 point club this season 
yeah, join the 70 point club and maybe be higher. Like Dadanov, like, you know, like these are two good line mates, like Barkov and Dadanov. I can't stress enough how much I love both of those players. And Hoffman's a good player too. Patty's giving some, okay, so fine. Obviously I'm exaggerating a little bit about this whole, like this, he was like, obviously things happened and that's important. I'm just saying like, you don't give away an awesome player for nothing in my opinion, but whatever. Like, I don't know, with Brian's working now, you don't really trade coworkers, but I feel like I would trade my bad coworker, try to get some, like, get a good photocopier yeah. or something in return. The lesson is to not give up all your leverage. And the Sens traded both players involved in, in the locker room fracas and got very little back. Um, and you can see that Hoffman fits in well when everything's going well. So, uh, you like, you should not. Like as a GM in hockey, it's one thing to be a player in care, but as a GM, you need to try and make sure that you're getting the best value for your assets, which neither the Senators nor, well, the Senators definitely didn't because the Sharks turned uh, Hoffman around for a better return than the Senators got when they traded him on to Florida, but neither team got anywhere near what they probably could have or should have. Yeah, like I don't get why the Sharks didn't at least hold on to him. He, anyway, uh, do people like when we go veer off from fantasy? I was saying myself about Tom Wilson earlier, and now this Hoffman trade. Should we stick to fantasy? Let us know. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson if you want us to go do a side like hockey non fantasy podcast. And maybe Hashtag that. sticks of fantasy. No, but come on. I don't, I like to what? talk. Okay, we're talking. Here we are. But we still have a lot of players I want to talk about fantasy wise. Okay. So let's keep going. Adam is saying in the chat, or by the way, Ekblad is in the Ovechkin spot on the second power play and has been good there. That's cool. It's interesting. Uh, something to watch. Maybe go buy uh, tickets to a Panthers game and you can watch it live with Siki. Uh, offer co- what, what, what am I doing? Okay. Uh, another player on a hot streak, Mike Green. Nine points in 11 games on the season. He had, uh, He's currently on a three game point streak. Don't really have much to say about him, but just like he's good. If he's a free agent in your league, I would add him. I would drop like Shattenkirk for him. If you can, Brian, we have that opportunity and I want to do it. I'm done with Shattenkirk. I want Mike Green. Okay. You can take Mike Green. Mike Green, good for Mike Green. It's nice to see him do stuff in the season that I give up on him doing stuff. He's like Pominville. I've just like, I've, I've kept the faith for so long and this year I didn't. Five of Green's eight assists though are secondary. His IBP is a little high, but even a 40 point pace is essentially a win for Mike Green. So things are actually still looking good. Even if you do allow for some aggression in his current numbers, Mike Green, fantasy relevant. Okay, and Brian, next I want to go to the Islanders. They've been doing some wonky stuff with their power play. Barzil was off the top power play. When I was prepping this show, the Islanders hadn't played their game today yet. They played today against Minnesota. No, no, they played against Dallas. They lost 6-2, to two, so that usually means that the Lions are going to shake up again. But I'm seeing some really weird stuff now. Uh, Johnny Boychuk was the defenseman on the top power play with Barzil, Beauvillier, Clutterbuck, and Brock Nelson. How can this be? Oh, they must have just been not much. Time. I don't know. They're met. It looks like Bailey, Eberly. What it's been lately, and I think what it still was yesterday or today was Bailey, Eberly, Andersley, and then Letty and Pulak. And Barzil bumped for some reason, which is pretty wild. It must just be that the second unit got more time just because of how it sometimes works out. Uh, yeah, so not great for Barzil. The one good thing for Barzil is that he's finally taking shots. He wasn't doing that in a while. So I don't know. It's hard to say at this point what like Barzil owners should be feeling. Like there's reasons to be happy. There's reasons to be not so happy. Remember, he wasn't taking any shots for a while. It was ridiculous. He still has like 18 points in 19 games. So he's having a good season. If he's finally taking shots, I'm sure this power play thing will work itself out, I guess. And like speaking of the Islanders power play, I think it, like Pulak's now on the sec- on the top power play if they're playing two defensemen, but he's been ice cold. Like he's pointless in seven before today. I see he got an assist today. I don't know if that saves him in people's leagues. Like only f- now six points on the season. Is is Ryan Pulak a snoozer? Like we were saying at some point, he was going to be the guy. This was going to be his year. I'm kind of ready to just tell people if you want to drop him, you can. He's like in Shattenkirk territory for me, I think. 
So I own Pulak in Kukupful, and I've been toying with the idea of dropping him, but he finally picked up a point in his last game, uh, which I think was today. It feels like two days sometimes when I prepare. Anyway, uh, he's shooting. Pulak is shooting and heading and hitting less than he was last season at five on five. Feels like that might be by design, though. At least the shot taking part of it, where Pulak might be uh, getting asked by his coach to focus a little bit more on the defensive side of things before he ventures to the offensive side of things. Elon, it's funny because you told me to add, like you, you, or you told me, you suggested I add Nick Letty in the cook-up fold and I ended up doing it, but Pulak outscored Letty in the last game. The thing with Letty is that it seems like he has the longest leash on the top power play. Barry Trotza, in an article by Arthur Staples over at The Athletic, was talking about how, you know, finally Nick Letty has the 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 defensive game that he's been trying to get him to, to work on and attain. And now that Letty's there defensively, now he can start working on his offense. Um, so that's nice that we were all waiting for that to happen. So we'll see who pans out offensively first between Letty and Pulak. Seems like it's going to be Letty because of the deployment he's getting. And we're just going to have to keep waiting on Ryan Pulak to get his opportunity. Yeah, like he is getting some, like you said, he got a point today. Who knows? And Brian, yeah, like Letty had two assists in his previous game before today, but then nothing again today. So who knows? Like, I feel like Letty's just the type of guy that you don't need to hold in any fantasy league, but any game that he plays, there's always a threat that he's going to get points because the Islanders score some goals and he's on the ice for a lot of the game, including on the power play. But uh, yeah, this team is weird right now. It's really hard to report on them. So let's just move on. I want to talk about Elias Pettersson on the Vancouver Canucks, who scored a power play goal yesterday after being pointless in four games. Before those four games, he's getting points in almost every game, often multiple points. We were so high on him, and still am, of course. But it's clear also, Vancouver's like really missing Brock Besser and Alex Edler, like two staples of their top power play. Both apparently could be back soon-ish. Uh, Patron Christopher asked for a statistical analysis of Pedersen's cold streak. So Brian, like, was it just bad? Like, what happened in those four games? Was Pedersen, like, being unlucky, or was that just, like, he wasn't good? He didn't play well. Vancouver's not that good. That's going to happen. Bit of both. Uh, Let's look at it this way. In Elias Pedersen's first 10 games, he'd registered at least two shots on goal in eight of those 10 games. Since the dawn of this cold snap, though, Pedersen has registered fewer than two shots per game in three of five contests. And you have to wonder if that's a feature of, well, the rest of the league taking notice of what Pedersen's been able to do and keying in on him, uh, wanting very badly to not be the next ones to show up on the Elias Pedersen highlight reel. It also obviously hurts, as you mentioned, Elon, that there are few other Canucks for opponents to be keying in on at the moment, which puts a lot of attention on Pedersen from opposing teams. Uh, Pedersen also needed 14 shots. He went 14 shots without scoring a goal, and he still has a shooting percentage hovering at 26%. So this is regression that we expected. We're not expecting 10 goals on every 28 shots Pedersen takes, no matter how good he is, which is where we were at before this cold snap began. Okay, Brian, by the way, hot uh, breaking news here in the chat room. Marcus is saying that Pedersen prefers to be called Peterson. Oh, God. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep that under advisement and we'll look into that for next week and for the rest of our lives because we're going to be talking about Elias Peterson for, DKP. For, for a very long time. <laughs> He's awesome. Now we have two Petersons mentioned in the same show because we had Cal Peterson before. Ah. And Cal Calvin. We don't, there's so, you know. It's hard to keep up, but we're we do, we do what we can. Bo Horvat, by the way, can I just mention uh, how he has continued putting up production, even though uh, he has not had 
like the greatest line. Like we always wondered what happens if Bo Horvat gets taken away from Bo- from Brock Besser and what can he possibly do in that scenario? Um, but lately he's been playing with like a crazy mix of players, definitely Antoine Roussel over the last four games and Tim Schaller. Um, but even in that situation, he's still been already has three points in his last five games, which like isn't great. He also has 15 shots in his last five games. Like these are not world beating numbers, but the fact that he's still putting up any sort of fringe relevant production without playing with Besser and without having played a minute with Pedersen at even strength so far uh, is a, we, we should give him credit because we put him down or we don't put him down, but we caution a lot that he's not necessarily doing this by himself. Good job, Bo Horvat. And Brian, it's nice to hear you saying something nice about him. I feel like you're always a big Bo Horvat detractor. I like, to, I like to even things out. You're switching over to the other side. He's a good player. Seems like it anyways. Okay, Brian, uh, what's going on with Alex Dabrinkit? Uh, he has one point in his last five games. He started the season with f- 15 points in 15 games. One point in his last five. That was before today. Chicago won 3-1 to one against uh, Minnesota today. And another pointless game for Alex Dabrinkit. Oh, my goodness. What's happening? He's also been playing on the third line with David Kampf and Dominic Cahoon. So not great line mates. Should Dabrinkit owners be worried? Or is now the time for anyone who doesn't own him to rush and make a buy low offer? Like, we had a huge hype for him going into the season. He started the year on fire. And now it's, like, totally disappeared. I'd buy low on Debrinket. He is languishing on the third line, especially seems that way since the new coach took the helm in Chicago. And uh, Debrinket seems to be tied to Dominic Cahoon. Like they're playing as a pair. And with uh, Kemp, like this, it looks like a third line checking unit which is a weird way to be deploying Alex Dabrinkit. He's also off the top power play, which Chicago had turned into a three forward, two defenseman setup in their last outing, which is insane because they don't even have one power play quarterback, let alone two on their blue line. Uh, Schmaltz was the third forward with Taves and Kane. So none of that really makes any sense. Hopefully it doesn't last. The good news about Dabrinkit while we wait is that he still has three or more shots more often than not. And he scored just once on his last 28 shots in his last 10 games. So he's still putting in the work, getting chances. Something's going to give at some point. Uh, things just aren't going his way, as opposed to earlier this year when everything seemed to be going his way. Uh, so I preach patience with Alex Dabrinkit. Yeah, and hopefully he'll get back on a good line soon. Maybe he's being taught some sort of lesson. You got to hope if you're a Debrinket owner. Uh, over on Minnesota, we got a tweet today. Uh, per Tornquist, usually on Twitter, we get tweets asking us if they should do something. Here was just Per Tornquist just said, I dropped Jason Zucker. They're like, like happy emojis. So uh, kind of shocking, right? He's a guy we were really excited about. But you take a look at his numbers, five points in his last nine games before today. And again, pointless today. So that makes it five points in his last 10. 14 points in 21 games on the season, which is like a 55-point pace. Not bad, I guess, but we had super high hopes. He had 64 points last year. Are you seeing any red flags on Jason Zucker? Or maybe is that he's someone that we need to consider dropping? Because, Brian, we have him in our joint league, and there's some pretty good free agents out there. And I own him in another league, too. We were really excited to see, to see Zucker's power play Tom on ice go up last year and hoped that trend would continue, that we'd see it continuing to rise, maybe, that he'd make good use of that newfound man advantage opportunity. But Zucker's deployment has held steady with last year. Still better. Not as good as we hoped. And with that 
deployment on the power play, his performance has actually sagged. He's on pace for 12 power play points, which falls short of last year's 16 power play points. Zucker's actually attempting even more shots than he was last year uh, on the power play, but actual shots on goal have not risen accordingly, um, which means that maybe something just isn't getting to the net. Like he's still doing the right things. His shooting percentage is also half of last year's 20% power play conversion rate that he had. So that all hurts. And it's not a dissimilar story at five on five for Zucker either. I think that 65 points is still in reach, but it's not looking as certain as I thought it could be heading into the season. You can do like a cautious buy low on Zucker if you want, like deal a 55 point player for him. I still think that's his floor, but he has more upside than a lot of 55 point players around the league still. Okay, yeah, Zucker, uh, and I said Zucker before, I apologize. We're going to get this right eventually on every single player. Uh, but Zucker has been playing with Eric Stahl and Mikhail Granlund and been getting good power play time. So he's like in a good spot. And so, yeah, you, you got to expect that he's not going to go with only five points in every 10 games. That's for sure. Right, another guy on Minnesota I'm very excited about because I just added him in a super deep league. Somehow I was able to add red hot Miko Koivu a couple days ago. He's got 11 points in his last seven games, 17 and 19 on the season. And that's before today. Gotta imagine he got more. Yeah, another assist today. Love him. Loving Miko Koivu. You know what? People think of him as like super old. He's 35, just like me. So, you know, we were meant to be together. I'm glad to have him on my team. He gets tons of minutes, top line, power play, deployment, all the good stuff. Do you think Koivu can keep this up? Like maybe not like over a point per game, but I feel like at this point, isn't he like a must add if he's still available everywhere, especially if like points are valued more than like peripherals? Yes, if points are valued more than peripherals, because you can't count on peripherals from Koivu. His on-ice shooting percentage is above 11%. It's high. His a very high power play IPP. It's near 90%. And really under the hood, outside of variance, nothing's really changed since last year for Koivu when he had 45 points. But even last year with that 45 points, there were runs like this. And then long stretches of nothing. He was essentially a streamer, someone you'd try and hit the jackpot on in a given week. So I wouldn't be investing big in Miko Koivu, but I mean, he's still a good player with great line mates. So it makes a lot of sense to see if you can add him while he's hot. Yeah, and also, by the way, remember a guy named Nino Niederreiter who got 57 points a couple years ago and then totally disappeared? Well, he has emerged from his slumber, seven points in his last nine games playing with Koivu and, of course, Zach Parisi, who's had such an amazing season. And again, this is before today. What did Nino Niederreiter do today? Oh, nothing. Oh, well, too bad. Breaking my uh, vibe here. But still, he's been good playing with good players, so don't forget about him. Maybe he can get back to that 57-point guy that he once was. Niederreiter at least has held on to a great deployment spot on the second line when there were whispers preseason that maybe Niederreiter was going to be displaced by Jordan Greenway. Credit to Boost Boudreaux also uh, for keeping Niederreiter there. Boudreaux has been exceedingly patient as Nino tries to get rolling. Just two goals on 38 shots for a 5% shooting percentage, which is like a third of his shooting percentage from the last few years. So that could turn around. And as long as Niederreiter still holds a second line deployment, and of course, uh, Koivu's rolling, Parisi's rolling, that's probably helped Niederreiter stay put because no wholesale changes need to happen on a line where everyone's doing all right i still think niederreiter can get up to 55 yeah so he's good as long as he's getting like last year he had bad deployment this year it's looking good he's playing with good players so i would add him if he was available in free agency i'd add koivu first but of course it depends what categories you need help in of course uh here's a tweet from at pr nhl i don't i still don't get why like at nhl doesn't do these tweets why is it pr underscore nhl tweeting out interesting things about what's going on in the league so good job league uh but yeah listen to this max domi 10 goals 14 assists and 24 points is the first montreal canadians player with 24 or more points in his first 20 games with the franchise 
franchise since Odie Cleghorn in 1918-19, who had 30 points in his first 20 games. Wowie zowie, Max Domi is doing well, the best ever new Montreal Canadian in history, according to their first 20 games. According to this tweet, uh, patron Ryan wanted us to bring him up. I, By the way, this is a perk of being a patron of Kevin Carlson. I post that we're doing a show, and I ask, who do you want me to talk about? That helps try, uh, help me plan the show here. And uh, you get to hear, but honestly, Ryan, I don't know what to say. Like We just talked about Max Domi last week. He's still doing great. Brian said to sell high before, so maybe Brian will say, now I actually changed my mind. Now he's great. Are you going to do that, Brian, or are you, or are you still thinking that he's not going to be able to keep this up? I'm still thinking that he is not going to keep this up. He is no Odie Foghorn Cleghorn who followed up his fantastic first year with the Canadians with 24 points, 20 goals, four assists in 21 games in the 1919-20 season, almost 100 years ago. Um, Fun to talk about, I guess. But uh, yeah, I'm still saying Max Domi's production is unsustainable, but don't try telling that to Habs beat writer Eric Engels who uh, had a a moment because I guess there's a a, a really big chip on his shoulder about how people reacted to the Domi Galchenyuk trade. He like filled our timeline retweeting people who didn't like the, the Domi for Galchenyuk trade for the Hab side of it um, back when it happened. It was like, man, like what, what place in your life do you need to be where that you feel like that's an important priority? I say all that, but like in April, I'm going to go back and I'm going to retweet all of his retweets um, to be just as equally petty about it. <laughs> wow, Brian. I thought you were going to just compliment this guy for having fun on Twitter and entertaining us, but you, you went the other way. It was too much. Like it was, there were so many and like, he's not right. Like nothing has been proven right. Well, just I think mean, he's, uh, he's, he's counting his chicks. They haven't hatched. <laughs> a good start for Domi. So <laughs> Maybe it was an even trade. We'll find out. Uh, Maybe I was a little harsh on Eric Engels there. Quality beat writer. She has a lot of good info, but like (laughs) I didn't, I was trying to like, you know, get Twitter news and. Don't get mad at us, Engels. You know what? No press is bad press. Or bad press is good press. I don't know. What's that saying? <laughs> All We're- press is good press. Sure, there you go. Uh, another player that's doing really well is Cam Atkinson. He's on fire. He had a hat-trick versus Carolina yesterday, which brought him to nine points in his last four games, 20 points in 19 games on this season. Patron Sam wanted us to bring him up. He's great. Like, he's an all-star in the league, I feel like. Atkinson's awesome. His center, Pierre-Luc Dubois, has nine points in his last seven games. Panarin is on fire as well. Is there any reason to expect this top line to slow down on the Blue Jackets? I feel like just they're three really good players. They're playing really well together. There's actually an interesting trade in the Tier 2 Ottawa Cupful division between Jesse and Brad yesterday. Uh, it was Besser and Pierre-Luc Dubois for Brad Marchand. So a classic two-for-one trade where Marchand is obviously the top guy, but then to get you know to get rid of him, you get some Besser and Pierre-Luc Dubois, two really good players, and Dubois doing so well. Who do you think won that trade? I think it's an interesting one. Well, it all depends on what happened with the newly empty roster spot, right? It's a two for one. You can't really evaluate it without knowing. Yeah, I guess. But it's like, you know, the cuckupful, right? It's like, you know, the de- like, you know, around what types of free agents are available. I think he used it to like uh, take a player out of IR. But, you know, the types of players available are like, uh, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. A t- I don't know. It's It seems like a good trade. It seems like an even trade. I kind of prefer to have like super studs on my roster. That seems to be working as a strategy for me this year. So I think I'll take the Marchand side, but it certainly could go either way. Yeah, I think a lot depends on Brock Besser, right? Like he's injured right now. 
if he comes back soon and if he and Elias Peterson Pedersen are just like, or Peter, I don't know, in the chat room now, Marcus is like, I think, trolling us right now with like ways to pronounce this guy's name. I'm just going to say Pedersen for the rest of this show, at least. But yeah, if Besser and Pedersen really click once he's back, like maybe this could end up being that Besser is almost as good as Marchand. I don't know. And Pierre Dubois is so good. So it's a very interesting trade for sure. And I know that uh, Brad was trying to shake things up. He's had a rough start to the season. Bad luck. You know, head to head, sometimes it's tough. In a points league, you could see how many points you have compared to everyone else in the division. And it's very frustrating when you see that you have like more points overall than a lot of teams, but you have a worse record just because you've had bad luck and who your opponents have been them's the breaks uh still a lot of players i want to talk about so patron john wanted us to bring up dougie hamilton again he's uh still doing badly right like he's been put on the trade block tonight he did yeah there you go so it's all it's all turned around but i saw that he was actually traded in tier two binghamton for ryan getzlaff which really surprised me like i feel like getzlaff is so so amazing and dougie hamilton has been terrible i know defenseman versus centers is a big difference in value over replacement but like brian do you see value in dougie hamilton like he has one point in his last seven i guess now two in his last eight if you include his point today seven points in 20 games on the season like if you had hamilton in the couple i assume you'd be holding on right but he doesn't seem like a guy that's like a guaranteed even hold so i'm surprised that i don't know i, I think you might have lost that trade uh tier two binghamton trader i would be holding on unless i could trade him for ryan Getzlaff, which yeah i would do uh in in maybe not a heart well yeah i do it quickly i was just trying to be sensitive to it. like whoever traded hamilton um, or Getzlaff, I, like, I, I love your faith in Dougie Hamilton. Here's one point of concern for Dougie Hamilton, like, cause we've always been very faithful that Hamilton's going to be okay, both in his Calgary days and so far in Carolina. Um, but Dougie Hamilton, he started this season shooting as he always does 15 consecutive games to start the year in which Dougie Hamilton registered three or more shots. But since then, and I haven't checked today's game, but going into today's game, Hamilton had had three or more shots just once in his last four. Um, so that's not great. And hopefully he'll get back on track. I would hold on to Hamilton like, versus drop him because I'm still hopeful. He does have a poor IPP. He does have a poor on-ice shooting percentage. But keep in mind, he's also lost some deployment and a bit of time on ice compared to his Calgary days. And hopefully he's not about to lose anymore uh, it's not like justin falk has been lighting it up on the top power play either so maybe there is some hope that hamilton can still get up there and qb the top unit at least uh, at least get a tryout uh, i don't know brian like this has started turning into like letty pulak talk right like oh yeah. like i feel like i don't know falk's been there this whole time and doesn't seem like there's any indication that things are going to change hamilton two shots today so another day under that three shot threshold though he did give his owners Four blocks and six hits. So at least he got some and an assist. So today was definitely a good game to have Dougie Hamilton. We'll have to maybe bring him up a little bit later. Not looking good. I just don't like, you know, again, like Shattenkirk, I was saying, like, you know, he's getting like almost 20 minutes a game. He had a little over 20 today and not on the top power play. So it's depending on how deep your league is. I don't know if he's a must hold, but he does have that upside. Like, I feel like he could get that great deployment and be really awesome. Like, I don't know even if Shattenkirk has the same upside that someone like Dougie Hamilton has. Like, he's a very high pedigree guy that we've expected to be like maybe a top 10 fantasy defenseman in the league if everything went right it's definitely not going right this year uh clayton keller on arizona slumping lately he has only one point in his last five games should his owners be worried brian we projected keller for 75 points we both said 75 going into the season so far he has 12 points in 19 games that puts him on pace for 52 so we're way off right now are you concerned about clayton keller or do you think that this is going to turn around anytime keller is now goalless in 10 games no goals on 20 shots in those 10 games arizona as a team is having a hard time scoring though this is not just isolated to clayton keller they have just eight goals in their last five games and four of those goals came in a single game 
So in the other games, they had four goals in four games. The Coyotes, one thing they really need to do is get their power play sorted. 26th in uh, power play conversion rate. They're they're converting just under 15% of their power play opportunities. The Coyotes are also 27th. Well, I mean, not also. It falls in line with the set I just gave. They have just nine power play goals for, which is 27th in the league. And they are dead last in expected goals for per 60 minutes on the power play. So essentially what that means is the the Coyotes deserve to not be scoring too many power play goals. Something's wrong and hopefully they can fix it. I mean, at least Keller has a point on four of Arizona's nine power play markers, but he and they need to get things going with the man advantage if we're to keep hoping for a big year from him. Okay, so what is the actionable? I, I'm just trying to say the like, actionable advice is hold on. Like, what else are you going to do with Clayton Keller unless you're in uh, a shallower league? No, no, you're not going to drop him, but I th- I've been seeing now some trades where he's being valued a lot lower. Like people being like, I'm just going to trade him for someone that I'm more confident in at this I point. I would be more concerned if Clayton Keller continues not scoring once the rest of his team starts scoring. So I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm still willing to wait on him. He's still taking a, a reasonable amount of shots. Goals just aren't coming for him or anyone in Arizona. So I'm going to hang tight for a little longer and see what happens once the Coyotes start scoring two or three goals each game again. Yeah, don't forget, going to last year, people were like, Clayton Keller's a a player. He's going to be like amazing in the league and it could happen like this year. He was great last year for long stretches. Cam Robinson, prospect expert, has been high on him forever. By the way, you might be hearing from Cam Robinson very soon. Uh, but you know, I'll leave that as a surprise. But he might be showing up on our podcast. Uh, I don't know exactly when, but it's going to happen soon. If Brian maybe needs anyway, okay. I'll leave, I'll just say okay, Brian. Brian, you're a uh, big uh, excitement, right? Yeah. Brian's going to be having a baby soon. What? Well, not him. A baby's going to be moving in with him. Junior part two. <laughs> yeah. So and I've got <laughs> amazing. I, I'm like now calling out Cam, so he can't change his mind. Uh, he's agreed <laughs> to take over for a week or two while Brian is on paternity leave. So it's going to so, be really. The podcast and- will go on. And if Keller is still struggling at that point, it, if Cam's giving up on Keller, then everybody should. So he'll be he'll, his advice will be very instructive there. Yeah, he won't give up on Keller. I guarantee no, no you. way. Uh, a couple like interesting line changes. Pominville was bumped from the top line on Buffalo. Reinhardt got back there. I feel like I called that on the last episode, so I'm going to take some credit for that. Pominville actually still, I think, scored a goal in the last game, but I feel like he's probably droppable in a lot of leagues. Maybe you want to grab Reinhardt. Ryan Eugene Hopkins also bumped from the top line. I'm not sure if we've talked about that. Drysaddle and McDavid are together, though. Edmonton's losing today, so maybe that'll change at some point. I don't really have a question here. Just uh, Do you want to say anything about either of these, or maybe I'll, I'll move on? Like you got to watch with these lines. like Something like Pominville... He was on such an amazing run, but you couldn't have expected him to last all year. Like, Reinhardt has been the one penciled in to be that top line, top power play center for, like, years now. Playing with yeah. Michael. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then uh, it was Nugent Hopkins again. Like, this is a coaching question. Like, what are the Oilers going to look like tomorrow? Um, right. And and at that point, we'll see what exactly happens with Nugent Hopkins for now. Uh, in the game that's happening as we record, he's playing with Alex Chieson and Ryan Spooner. Um, still Dreisaitl, McDavid, and Kajula, who is probably, like, Kajula's the oiler you want, um, as, a, as like, after Nugent Hopkins. And, of course, Ty Ratty is not even playing. So don't be snoozing on him. Yeah, get rid of Ratty. You don't need him. And uh, Lucic. Forget, like, Lucic is done. Drop is him. This? Is this 2016? Like, yeah, obviously. Bye. 
Okay. Uh, Asa Lindell was playing on the top power play today on Dallas, not Miro Heiskanen, and he scored two goals. Uh, he hadn't been doing anything before offensively, but I feel like now if you want to grab a defenseman who's in a good spot, go grab Lindell for as long as Klingberg is out. Who knows if Heiskanen gets back up on the top power play? But I think there's a lesson here. I feel like, Brian, we were too much like when Klingberg got injured, like, okay, this is Heiskanen's time. He's going to for sure now stick on the top power play. I feel like maybe we were a bit too confident about that. He's still a rookie. Like, things can easily change, and I don't think I'm going to make that mistake again. It's similar like in Buffalo, right? Like, we're like, oh, once uh Darlene gets there that's it like you know it's done for wrist line and then like they've switched back and forth I think Darlene's actually back there as of the last game but yeah watch out for Esselindel and maybe Miro Heiskanen Heiskanen sorry ah in a one-year league I don't know how exciting he is right now off the top power play still still a lot of upside so much upside and I don't think we were totally wrong to be like this you know maybe this can happen it just didn't unfortunately so I I hope Haskinen can find his offensive game eventually maybe still even before Klingberg comes back but if you added him only because Klingberg was out uh, perhaps it's time to look for his replacement okay and finally Brian let's end with the great news that Eric Carlson is still an amazing hockey player and he's finally showing it offensively what's that Never in doubt. Never in doubt, of course. But it's nice to see. Like, I added, like g- grabbed him in the first round in a couple of my leagues, and I'd been really regretting it because he just wasn't clicking. But now he's got a three-game point streak going, a goal and assist yesterday. That goal was a power play goal. It was a beauty. That, like, it was a really big rebound, actually. It was maybe a bit of a gift. But, hey, he <laughs> needed it to get that first goal, get off the schneid. And I'm very excited. I probably, like I said before, I would have probably traded him for not value. So I'm glad that none of my competitors took advantage of me. I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm wearing my Sharks hat proudly. I'm a big bandwagon guy, by the way, Brian. I'm wearing my Sharks hat because I love Carlson. I'm wearing my Leafs shirt because they're, I think, first in the league right now. It's a great time to be me. And it's a great time to have Eric Carlson. Uh, he's great. He's awesome. I can't wait to see how long this point streak lasts. Yeah, well, his point drought lasted seven games. Finally, it's over. Carlson has his first goal of the season. So now you're either going to have Eric Carlson owners. It's almost like you wonder how people will approach it who have Eric Carlson. Like, Elon, you own Jake Allen. And whenever he had a fantastic start, you were like, oh, maybe this is my chance. So you're either going to have Carlson owners who still don't believe in him, who are like, oh, this is my chance to get rid of Carlson um, and and you know, are willing to try and sell him in a last gasp, sell high effort because they don't think it'll last. Or you're going to get Eric Carlson owners who are slamming that buy low window right on your fingers uh, because you missed it. It's always worth checking out. If you're a Carlson believer, uh, take a, send a note to the Carlson owner and be like, hey, want to get want to get him off your hands? Although it's a really hard time to approach that person with a trade if you haven't already. Yeah, he's great. I'm not worried anymore. I was worried. I guess I should. Maybe I'm being like too crazy now. And then in a week, if he has like two pointless games, I'll be like, okay, so I don't want to sound too like reactionary, but it's just nice to see him starting to click. Like I said, three game point streak. Let's see if he can keep up. He's like one of the, yeah, he's such an amazing player. It's I've been seeing interesting commentary saying it was more like the Sharks needed to adjust to playing with Carlson as opposed to Carlson needing to adjust. But you know, like he plays in this great way and people have to be ready for these passes that other people wouldn't be able to give to them. So I don't know. It might just be people lauding praise because they love him and he's such a cool guy. But uh, I'll be, it'll be really fun to see now what happens for the rest of the season now that he's off the schneid like i said getting points i'd love to see how things are going to go and i also really love my bet i made at the start of the year on the sharks winning the cup i forget what my odds were but i feel like i got a few hundos coming my way if they could take it all the way wow Wow. love the betting talk (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah brian's like against betting no we just don't endorse it i don't i do i think it's fine you endorse betting i think uh in moderation it's a fun activity 
Know your limit, play within it. Okay. (laughs) Thank you everyone for listening to another show. This has been a lot of fun. We covered a lot of ground. So hopefully you found something actionable that will help you in your league. If you have any feedback, if you want to ask us any questions, we're always happy to help on Twitter. Brian, are we maybe one of the most, like we like respond to basically every tweet. Like I I don't want to, yeah, I do want to brag, right? It's a good it's a good Twitter account. I'm proud of it. We're trying our best. So tweet at us at Keeping Carlson with your fantasy questions. Or if you have any feedback or advice, we'd be happy to hear from you at Keeping Carlson, like I said. Okay, uh, what else? You could give us a five-star review on iTunes if you like the show. We always really appreciate that. If you really like the show and you want to not only contribute, but also get extra back, you can become a patron of Keeping Carlson, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You get a ton of perks. You'll see it all on the website, but it includes a Facebook group that is rocking really smart people, giving great advice and also like really funny posts as well. Then you've got our monthly patron cast, which Brian, I don't even know. Like, we're going to have to figure out when we're going to do that. Maybe we could try to do that before you have that baby. Uh, a lot of other perks like show notes every week check it out keepingcarlson.com slash patron oh a whole other podcast called the stream scheme by dave benton i have to post the most recent one right now he already sent it to me it's a really great show and it's only for the patrons of keeping carlson so again keepingcarlson.com slash patron to see all of the perks check it out five bucks a month you get everything you support the show you buy brian or i a beer once a month plus you can cancel it at any time so why not try it out for a month see if you like it But with that, Brian, how about we cue the outro music and you can go ahead and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our our patrons, including our newest ones, Michael D and Darren W. And uh, thanks to everyone for leaving iTunes reviews. Shout out to Malone Sauce, Young Fajita, and KB9087217. We love some very kind five-star reviews. Uh, Not a shout out. To Steamer9456, nails on a chalkboard, says Steamer9456. The host voice is so annoying. The one is so bad, it's unlistenable. Like, we get one of those about every six months. Elon, whose voice do you think is the one that Steamer's talking about? I don't want to say. I don't know. <laughs> coin flip. <laughs> I think it is a coin Well, no, it's probably me. Um, okay. This episode was researched, but you can give us a review, by the way, if you want to help us bump that bad one out of the way. Uh, This episode of Keeping Carlson was researched with help from, you have to actually write the review too, not just click the five-star button, Uh, Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica, Natural Stat Trick, ShiftChart.com, which is a fantastic way to get, uh, like, a very pretty way to get live in-game blind combos. Um, Charting Hockey. Natural Stat Trick. Did I say these already? Hockey Goalies, Hockey Reference, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Yeah, great job as always, Brian, except for when you read the credits. It's a bit shaky, but overall, amazing show. Thank you for all the work you put into it. Thanks again to everyone for listening. We'll catch you all with another episode next week, maybe with Brian, maybe not. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Son. I to make my voice a little more annoying, but I couldn't even handle it. I just wanted to say keep on keeping Carlson and enjoying it because it's a pleasure. Keep on enjoying keeping Carlson. (laughs) Bye. Bye.